this is Kiki Rai, and you're listening to For the... Listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from Wow Dogs, and for the lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to you on Monday and I've got with me, same as usual, Joe as well as Rick. And we've got ourselves an extra little guest as well, Mr. Bill Roper, after the interview has decided to stay with us and just shoot the shit about games for a little while. So how's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing Good. fantastic. You know, this is where I realized I realize your guy's show is For the Lore, which seems like it actually, For the Lore! And it almost <laughs> works. Well, you know what? The thing is, is that, and, and nobody actually knows this because I never told anyone, but that's exactly what it was for. When I um, I bought the Earl because I thought of it, um, I do, I write. It's, I've been writing since I was a kid. And I do a lot of different fan fiction, a lot of things like that as well. So when I was starting to work on some WoW fan fiction and uh, some uh, little undead character, and I thought, well, I'll buy this Earl and start that as the essentially just the blog to dump my writing in kind of thing. So that's exactly why I bought it. But then when I started working on it and thinking about different ideas that I wanted to do, I'd run a gaming site many years ago and then I stopped and then I decided well I wanted to run it but do not just all games do story driven games because that's a passion of mine and so the name just fit at that point to use it for any kind of story driven game and then from there we progressed to the the podcast as well which is kind of taken over the the site actually that's mainly what it's become but the, yeah it's all about story driven games so it fit so that's where for the lore came from Wow, I guessed correctly. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So it's been an interesting weekend, too. I don't know if you boys wound up picking yourself up a bunch of games, too, with the sales. I got myself, I did pick up the Champions Online. I'd been playing the um, the two-week trial that had been given to me, and then there was the free weekend as well, but I actually picked it up because it was 20 bucks on sale through Steam, so it was kind of hard to pass that up. I picked up the Left 4 Dead 2, which was on sale as well. Kotar was on sale for 250 I mean, it's kind of hard to say no to Kotor for two fifty. Yeah. So I picked that up, and then my youngest picked up that freaking weird eyeball game, that Mad Balls game. Again, it was two bucks, so he was happy with it. I don't know if you guys picked anything up. Uh, Lucidity, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, Evil Genius, and Mirror's Edge. You did pick up Mirror's Edge. Yeah, for the price, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't say no. Five bucks, and it was a great game on the. Uh, um, for the PS3 when it was, you know, first came out and I figured, yeah, what the hell? I have a massive gaming rig now. Let's see what it looks like on here. See, I played it on the PS3 as well. And all granted, I only played the demo. I didn't buy the game, but that's because when I tried the demo, I really couldn't get behind it. I, I was having a really hard time 
caring that much about it and I didn't I wasn't crazy about the controls actually some of the controls for the jump sequences like when you got to try five six times and chick still ain't climbing the goddamn wall to get up there that's when you put the controller down and say I've had enough of this game so yeah no I just had no interest I don't know if the jump sequences are a lot easier on the PC though well I'll let you know as soon as I'm done downloading it because that thing is massive isn't the whole premise of that game just parkour yeah. Part what? Uh, free free running parkour, or whatever. I thought that's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's essentially, game yeah. wasn't. Yeah, it's like you can't do that with the kind of camera angles they want you to screw around with. That's what I heard. That it's just like bashing your head on a wall because you're trying to jump on something. The camera's on that something, so it's very awkward. But it might be incredibly fun when I'm. Might be incredibly fun when I'm drunk. You never know. <laughs> It'd be like when he walks and he can't walk straight. Did you pick <laughs> up anything, Rick? Yeah, you guys put my pocketbook to shame, man. I actually um. I actually got Dragon Age Origins for free from a friend of mine who just happened to have it. And he was like, here, have this at the land party that I had on Friday night. And he goes, well, I'm like, yay, okay. This will make my, my co-host happy. But I still haven't <laughs> installed it and I haven't tried playing it. I'm kind of terrified because, you know, I spend enough time Kiss goodbye to your kids. Kid, yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to kiss my, my wife and kids goodbye. And, <laughs> and, you know, Kiki will be happy and you'll be happy and, and Joe will be happy and so will Sammy and... I'll be consumed and I won't see the light of day and my pale, you know, Latin flesh will become paler. But, you know, it's, it's all good. It's all for the sake of the podcast, right? Well, it's not like you were pleasing Misty in bed anyways. Use that time instead just to play Dragon Age Origins. Less you know, you're quite amusing. She's in the chat room. She's listening to the podcast live <laughs> right now, you know. I, but make me feel good. You see, you see how they treat me, babe. You see yeah, this? yeah, yeah. Shut up. But it's true, though. It is something that it will take a lot of your time. How much time you've been putting on it, Bill? Oh, I've probably put about, I feel like a piker. I've only got like about 24 hours in. And I look at the map of what I've got to do left. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's like a commitment. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I feel like I need a ring to finish <laughs> playing this game. But it's it's awesome. I'm having a really good time. Um, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for the big single-player story games, you know. So I'm loving that. I've been playing some Left 4 Dead 2, which is great. Uh, and actually, you know, to throw some props out to some of my old guys, I've been playing a lot of Torchlight. And I just really, you know, it is so bad for my mouse button clicky fun. You know, I can't get I, I just really been enjoying that. I, I'm still playing Torchlight all the time. I it, it's been the constant throughout all of the other games that I've been playing periodically, whether it's again going from Ion to the uh, playing Borderlands for a while and everything else. Torchlight has still maintain and I still start it up periodically and play and have an absolute blast with it so the the staying power with that game and now with the mods that have come out you're seeing mods that are pretty freaking cool I don't know did you guys see the video of the uh, yeah, the D3 mod that somebody made no not no, yet no no I'll have to post a link if I can I'm find it now it was damn cool because they took essentially the starter um, barbarian demo that you saw. Not well, not demo, but uh, uh, teaser trailer kind of thing that they they showed at the beginning there, and mm -hmm. they did it with torchlight, and it's almost entirely the same thing. I know that uh, the uh, Wonder Russell for Runic uh, does the the Twitter for for Runic Games, and she posted it, and she said that they were sitting around laughing, looking at this, and it was Matt Eulman who found it, and uh, and yeah, I watch it; it's absolutely phenomenal. So again, just to show you what you can do with that freaking game, especially now with the mod. 
Yeah, the, yeah, I think that was really, really smart of them to put that out to like, the, here's your adventure builder kit, because you know it's just going to continue to really build excitement about it and and show off the power of what they've actually got going there. I say it's not a bad way to recruit too. I mean, if you get people who can actually develop and design very, very, very good stuff, I mean, that's a very good place to just pull talent from, especially if you're a small kind of like indie company like they are now. Yeah, and you boys have been playing Absolutely. a lot of the uh, Left 4 Dead too. Joe, you still playing? Yes, I am. I just had a rather epic uh, shootout at the uh, the five story mall last night at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I am the second coming of Christ in Left 4 Dead 2. <laughs> just wanted to make sure I let you all know about that. And as soon as I get the footage, because we had a guy with the video, we had a guy with the video camera, um, just recording the whole thing on his handheld, and the amount of bullshit that was pulled off that night will never again it just it will never be repeated i'm going to try to put it up on youtube uh this weekend but yeah it's you're going to see some shit it's gonna be good see i haven't had a chance to actually start it yet i just picked it up on the weekend and i'm going to be editing this podcast now tomorrow as well as wednesday maybe wednesday night i'll get a chance to, to pop in but i cannot wait to go in that being said too though Again, I've been playing Champions Online now since last week. Um, so I started playing it on, when was that? Well, that would have been Tuesday, actually, because I got the podcast edited early last week. So then I started in then, and basically every free moment that I've got, that's where I've been putting my time. And I got my little freaking celestial chick there in Canada, which is absolutely hilarious when you're there. And, and all the, the, the Canadian stereotypes, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring more of the zone. The one thing that I found, though, is that... And I could be wrong because I haven't tried all of the classes. So maybe, I'd, again, I don't know all of the mechanics, but I'm finding as the Celestial chick, um, she is damn overpowered. Like, it is freaking hard to kill this chick. And it's not like I always know what I'm doing either. I've made that abundantly clear. There's a lot of shit that I still don't know what the fuck there are. There's buttons for stuff, and, and I'm looking at all the the... the the user interface for the, the when you're putting your primary and your secondary this and all that. And I'm going like, I don't know what the hell those stats are for. So like within reason, I know the caster stuff versus the melee. But um, but yeah, and even at that, she's very hard to kill. Really hard. I, like, I don't know, Joe, like you've played a lot more of the other characters. Are you finding that there it, it is more difficult with some of the others? Keep keep in mind, I mean, it's a, it's a superhero game. I mean... You don't feel very heroic if you're dying every five minutes, um, but it, it is really hard to just go and die unless you pull like an entire zone. Uh, so I have like a couple of my sword scrapper, my uh, power armor tank, uh, things like that. They just they don't they don't die as long as you're smart about it. And there's enough uh, health ups and and energy ups that drop when you do kill them off uh, that you can keep going for a good long while, and it, it makes it a lot more fun because you're not sitting there reliant on uh, a pocket healer. Um, or anything like that. So I, I don't know if I would say that I noticed that the Celestial is overpowered in that regard because all the classes have that ability. If, as long as you um, take a couple seconds to figure out what you're doing, it's really difficult to die. Yeah, I mean, and it's actually, you know, it's a, that's a pretty conscious design decision and feedback from players, and it's exactly what they're like, hey, I'm a superhero, man. I don't want to be, you know, getting taken down by three punks of guns. <laughs> so, you know, where, where the big challenges come in is where you're, you know, you're, you're fighting – uh, you know, super villains and master villains. And, you know, it's like when, when you get into a place, you're going to get challenged. Then we want you to be challenged. Um, but it's, it's definitely designed in a lot of ways. And I think it's, that's why it's found to degree, maybe a, a more casual audience. 
right? People that are like, hey, I want to come in. I want to play for an hour tonight and, you know, work on my character because it's it's not like it's uh, super engrossing and hard. And if I don't put in six hours tonight, I don't feel like I made any progress. So it, it's, it definitely does have that feeling. Yeah, that's definitely true. I did find that as I'm playing it too. I can bounce in for a little bit, which again, I've got I've got four kids. Uh, granted, luckily they're not all at home. We're trying to kick the other two out now, and then we'll be fine. But um, but it is something that I noticed that with a very limited time frame, I can bounce in and really have quite a bit of fun and kill a whole whack load of shit, not have to worry about dying if I'm careful with the orbs as they're dropping and everything else. And it's not like, again, we're with wow was becoming such a time sink where anything whether it's doing your dailies or 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 anything is taken forever don't even get me started on ion and and the time sink for (laughs) any of the goddamn stuff in there we're not going there well (laughs) we are later we are later but um but yeah no so i'm finding that it's a lot easier just to boom bounce in and and go from there rick what else are you playing right now you you're playing the uh you were saying actually that you were running through bioshock again last week are you still running through yeah. or did you finish it no no i'm I've, i'm actually taking my sweet time with it i'm being like really kind of really anal about it like i'm just going through every nook and cranny i'm sitting down and listening through every single one of those like audio recordings i'm i'm really really enjoying it to the fullest this time not like i did before and um i'm playing on a much harder difficulty than i did the first time around so i mean yeah so i'm, I'm playing bioshock again because i just think it's an amazing title um on and off playing wow and i think i got my rope to like 38 now whoop they do and uh left for dead 2 obviously i played a little bit of torchlight just the typical stuff we've been doing and i like i said i have yet to install um dragon age origins but i'm pretty sure when i do that that's going to be taking up some time as well yeah all of your time going on from <laughs> like the superheroes on with the champions online they announced the this week on dc universe that uh, nightwing's been added to the cast um joe you've been following this actually pretty closely have you not I have indeed with my addiction to all things superhero. Um, it's an interesting move on their part because it adds a certain amount of uh, strife in the NPC community. Um, if they follow the basic story, which I think that they're going to from DC Comics, Nightwing isn't exactly everybody's best friend. He's kind of an asshole. His girlfriend gets shot, paralyzed, and put in a wheelchair, so he dumps her. And he tells Batman to go fuck off three ways to Sunday and you know tells all these superheroes that you're not good enough and goes and does his own thing. Um, it's interesting to see that get added in because it opens up a whole other um, avenue for essentially anti-heroes, which I think will be interesting. Um, it also kind of makes me think that they're a little afraid of their market niche. Um, when you have a, a solid NPC base, and this is my understanding just from looking at various games that have come out, um, you don't really have to keep adding more and lead, leaving tidbits out there. And they already had the big players. I mean, they had Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, um, you know, Wonder Woman. They had the, the JLA and they had some of the other ones around there already. So adding in more, um, especially from the Hero Core, is is interesting move as far as I can see, because there really wasn't a need for it. But it's, yeah, but it's going to be adding a hell of a lot more depth to the story oh, yeah. as well too, like a lot more. Plus, it's going to wind up being an NPC that they can use for a whole bunch of quests. So you've opened up your quest lines like by a lot more as much as they want to use them. So the more of these filler characters that they add in, the more quest lines you can expect on that side as well. Oh, understandable, but it makes you think of exactly how big they want this thing to be right out of the bat. 
you know, like as soon as it hits the out of the gate running, how how massive it's going to be. So I'm 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 going to be following it to see who else they're going to add because I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a lot more villains pop up as well. I mean, you can't really add um, a hero like Nightwing without adding a few villains of the the, the opposite persuasion to, to kind of balance things out and make things interesting for the other side of players. So I'll be in- interested to see how it goes. Bill, I would assume that you guys can't help but be following another superhero game as well to see what kind of things they're doing oh yeah absolutely i mean i you know and that's the one thing is you know i i, I first and foremost love games so you know i i try to follow everything but i'll, I'll really interested to see how they handle um some of the stuff i i mean i think maybe for better or for worse they're keeping an eye on what we're doing and figuring out you know what worked and what didn't work um from what we're we've had going on uh and i'm, I'm really interested to see how they tackle uh, some of the challenges that we had, but you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a great time uh, for those of us who love comics. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And then this week as well, uh, what do we hear about? We heard about um, some more Star Trek or sorry, Star Wars, the old Republic with Alderaan being added as a planet. Um, I like what they're doing too with the, with the Star Trek, the old Republic, because you're going to get to see, um, well, in this case here, a planet before it was blown up kind of thing. So it's a step back from the movies that we grew up watching. So it's kind of interesting that they're, they have a little bit of, well, not more than a little bit, uh, some leeway in terms of what they can do with bringing that entire world to life kind of thing. And, and that's really cool too, because I mean, one of the things that they're doing that is that we talked about before um, is really opening up their their back end design process. They're sh- they're showing things as they're created, giving us our little you know breadcrumb trail to follow, so to speak. Um, and it is cool for something like Alderaan, which is so story centric, to see it be born. Just like when we were looking at uh, Coruscant, um, it's nice to see these things take shape from the ground up, and uh, it makes you wonder what else are gonna, we're going to be able to see right off the bat. What else is going to be in the game? Um, what are the things from earlier times that we, you know, we hear about that are going to be added in? Um, I'm, I'm impressed so far. I really am with just the, the scale of each planet that they're making. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It gets me excited. Bill, have you been following the Old Republic at all? Yeah, you know, a little bit. I, it's, uh, it, I, I'm really, really intrigued to see how. Uh, they fold in, you know, I think what, what they're best known for which is the story stuff into that MMO space. Right. I mean, that's, it's a huge deal. And, uh, it's like, you know, when I'm, you're playing through, you know, anything they've done in the past, it's just like that story and everything is just so huge and different paths you can take. Um, and I think that's a, a, a huge thing to fold into, what people think of as traditional MMO gameplay. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty excited about that. And I love the fact that, like you said, they're, they're going into like a lot of depth and backstory and things that, you know, aren't just what you're used to from the films, like really kind of opening the canon. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited to be, to, to see where they end up with all this stuff. 
Yeah, well, I, we've been following that as well as the Star Trek Online as well, and the the obvious comparisons between the two because they the both the sci fi's that a lot of us grew up with kind of thing, and to see where it's going to go from there. Um, this week as well, they they released a, a new uh, video as well on more of the uh, combat for the Star Trek Online. And it was interesting to see how it's progressing and what they're doing, kind of thing. You've obviously got the back door there to see, but for us on the outside looking in, it's kind of interesting to to get little glimpses every once in a while at the way that the combat is being handled um, on the ships versus when you're planet side and the questing and whatnot too. It's it's fairly exciting to see that new dynamic of you're going to have multi-layered combat, multi-layered quests being whether you're your NPC walking around on the planet or your, your ship. Hmm. We get a hmm from we got it, Rick. Yeah, thank you, Rick, for no, that no, <laughs> brilliant addition. I've been thinking. I've been thinking if I should ask this question or not because it's kind of deviating a little bit off of of you know we're talking a lot about the story of these games and whatnot. And the one thing that I've kind of been wondering is what happened with Iona. What happens with you know with games that are being released now in the fall and what you guys were talking about previously, even in the interview and whatnot, is we as gamers over the past years probably because of wow and because of you know the ripples that wow has sent out in the industry we've got um not i don't want to say a sense of entitlement but we hype the shit out of everything that is coming out and to the point where it's there's a lot of hype coming out and especially now i'm looking at these big titles we're talking about like the dc universe we're talking about star trek we're talking about freaking star wars you know we're getting these big big names and my biggest worry when it comes to these games in general is Will they live up to our hype? Like, you know, um, I think Bill said earlier, how big do you want this thing to be right out of the gate? Because you can have a game back then, it would come out and we would say, oh, it came out, it's a great game, it's got some problems, maybe it's got a couple of bugs, but they're saying, yeah, we're going to update in the future, and everybody was cool with that. If a game comes out today and has bugs and has issues with it and has, you know, crippling problems a la Ion and whatnot, it's going to tank and it's going to cause a lot of, you know, for lack of a better twer- you know, term, it's going to cause a lot of like outrage and a lot of backlash. I mean, look at us. We all picked up Ion. We all had very high expectations. It flopped miserably for us, but there's still people playing it, which boggles my freaking mind. And it still has a big subscriber base in, in Korea and whatnot. So I'm kind of thinking to myself, I, I'm wondering how big they're really going to take the Star Wars universe because that's a huge universe, man, or the Star Trek or even DC. It's like how are you going to take these massive, you know, decade-long universes that are very, very cherished in our hearts, you know, from when we've grown up and they got to, you know, how are they going to do it justice to something in an MMO because MMOs are very like – you, like you said in the interview, Bill, they're very hungry, hungry beasts. You know, you have a lot of content here. How are you, how much are you going to give them at the start? You know. Yeah, but that's has- yeah, and that's I mean that's a big challenge we face with Star Trek, right? I mean, you know, we it's funny. I, I Craig Zinkovich is the EP on there. We've sat and talked about it. I'm like, you know, look, I have my guys in the Champions universe. They're like, oh, that's not the way. That's not Fox Bat's character or whatever, right? You know, they're they're very di- dogmatic about us following uh, canon and lore. And I said, mm-hmm. I have nothing compared to what you're going to have. You know, people look at it, and they even and and the big challenge there is, and I know that you know it's the same thing with with any huge license that has so many followers, is they know the world, you know, just intricately, 
And with Star Trek, the, the challenge is, I mean, you could even look at it and say, well, how are we going to handle Space Comet? Is it going to be follow the physics that were laid out in the original series, or are we going to follow more of what they did in Next Gen? Or are we going to, I mean, you know, they even kind of changed their own rules within the canon. So those are very distinct choices they've had to make on, you know, this is how we're representing it, and this is the slice of the world that we're taking, and these are the rule sets we're following. Uh, and but then you know working very very closely uh, you know with CBS and with uh, you know everybody on on the Star Trek side of things to make sure that we are falling within you know what the expectations are for the Star Trek world and universe from their from the fans that have loved it for you know decades so it's a huge challenge. Well, see the thing too, Joe or not Joe Rick, you're talking about um, like they're undertaking a lot like when you're looking at your Star Wars and whatnot and you're comparing it to Ion. The difference is too you got to look at when you're saying are they biting too off too much. You got to look at how powerful the the dev company is too. Like really, I don't think that Bioware can bite off too much. I think that they could decide to do. I I think they could decide, and I don't think that the problem with Ion was that NCSoft bit off too much. I think what the problem with Ion was is that they didn't they didn't shape the game for the North American audience, and so like it's not that it was way too much for them to have done and that that's why it's full of bugs and everything else um and i mean taking into consideration yeah it was a clusterfuck of a launch for sure but Mm -hmm. that's that's not really the game per se that was their launch and the servers and everything else the game itself the problems don't lie aren't because it was they bit off more than they can chew it's just that it's not geared towards a north american audience and they're not doing enough to to fix that kind of thing so like well, when you're looking at your your the old republic i i have nothing but faith in bioware that it will live up to the hype and they could they could hype it to 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 all hell and back i'll believe it based on what we've seen from them in the past well, I guess I, I probably made the wrong comparison when I tried to not exactly compare these three titles that I mentioned, like the Star Wars, Star Trek, and DC to Ion, because obviously that's apples and oranges. I mean, you're, that's in a totally different league. And you're right. It is a lot with the development company. Like, I mean, look at Bill, and we're looking at a, at the way Champions Online is being held, and it's a real comforting you know, fresh breath of air that we're getting where the devs are, oh my God, they're actually listening and they're implementing things that we as players want. You know, holy crap, you're giving us a game that we want to play and if there's something we don't like, you're actually changing it? That's my, this is mind-blowing. But um, what I was talking about more generally was just, you know, the general hype that follows these games. My biggest worry is I have the utmost faith in Bioware just to get that one off the, off the table right now. I have, I think if there's any company that could pull this kind of stuff off, First and foremost, at least as far as Star uh, Star Wars is concerned, it would be you know it, it would definitely be oh my god my brain just farted Bioware Bioware yeah yeah Thank nothing you. but faith you just can't remember the fucking name <laughs> no, I'm, my brain's going fast and my mouth is going but um what my concern is isn't even like a negative oh I'm you know being all conservative here it's just I'm thinking a lot of gamers just like I mean the same thing happened with flagship you know when they they get really involved you know and they they're so they get so personal and they get so just ramped up about these kinds of games and it's confusing to me i'm just wondering it's like why are people making such a big massive deal about these games i mean like it's ultimately it's just a game 
Are you talking about, are we talking about the same thing? Why are we getting excited about the Old Republic? Chris, I'm not even a Star Wars fanatic, and it, just looking at it and looking at what they're doing in terms of just questing alone, let alone the breadth of the world that they're creating, not world, galaxy, universe, that they're creating, just the, the manner in which they're doing it with are in, they're redefining story-driven MMOs where, like, it's going to be, like completely different again you're gonna have to see once you start dragon age origins and maybe it won't be for you but anyone who has played it and actually appreciates story driven games excuse me i mean you can't help but think oh my god this in an mmo setting is going to be absolutely astounding the fact that it's all voice driven questing you're not reading and the fact that consequences actually will occur like it, what your the choices you make will have a huge impact in where the story goes excuse me and again you're going to see that as you are playing through dragon age origins so that's why we're excited for star trek the old republic or sorry star wars the old republic like it's not the ip so much as what they're going to be doing with it I don't know. I guess I'm ultimately just spending too much time. Like I, I, I agree with you, man. I've been looking at a lot of gameplay footage, been listening to you guys wax poetic about you know Dragon Age Origins for a while now, and like I'm, I'm excited. I'm very much looking forward to playing, hell, playing Star Trek, playing Star Wars online, playing. Um, the, the, even the DC universe, I was looking at it because I've always been, I've never been the biggest comic book fan, but I've, for God's sake, every single one of my friends, including you guys, are just, you know, big comic book fanatics. Well, Joe is and Sammy is. <laughs> so, I mean, I've always been like that one guy who doesn't read the comics but hangs out with all the comic book nerds, you know? But, um, I, I don't know. I guess I've been spending a lot of time on forums and reading everybody and their mother just coming out and saying, oh, this is going to kill WoW. This is this. This is crap. This is not. It's just. I the the rampant fanboyism kind of gets to me and I'm just want to make sure that that I don't know I guess I don't want to make sure of anything I'm just wondering why it happens and if in game developers you know this is we have Bill here that's why I even bothered to bring it up was when you guys are developing a game when you're getting ready to push the game out do you even take that into consideration you know I mean you you're prideful in what you're putting out and you're confident in what you're putting out but does that ever – does anybody ever like go into the forums and deal with that aspect of you know the gaming audience, you know the trolls and the idiots and the people out there that are just being you know, ridiculous? Sure. I mean you, you have to, right? I mean that's uh, – you, you put your whole you know, community relations team together to try to do that stuff. Um, I, think, I think managing expectations is really hard because you don't want to uh, – you know, to a degree, you don't want it to be where – you're telling players, oh, it might not be as good as you think, because you know, that comes across <laughs> weird, right? <laughs> but, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it, it is when you have people that are fans of the IP, uh, fans of the development company and stuff like that, you know, it puts a, a huge extra amount of pressure on that. You know, I'm sure that the Bioware guys are just living in a kind of a, a you know, pressure cooker heated pot on a gigantic fire they're like okay we've really shown that we can kick ass with the uh, star wars stuff but man now this is a whole different it's a whole different league we're stepping into you know um and i think there's a lot of confidence in faith based on what they've done in the past um that they can pull it off but you know that doesn't make it any easier uh, or any less scary for the fact that you know you've got all these people that are there. And I think the, the part that's maybe even the most frightening is, uh, you know, when you go into those forums and you, you know, see reviewers write about things, um, 
you know, even in previews, it's like any little thing people jump onto. And it's a far less forgiving uh, place than it used to be, you know, making yeah. games. The expectations are higher than ever. And it feels like, man, if we make one misstep, they're just going to eat us alive. Yeah, so, that, that, like, that's, that's the kind of point. When you layer on top of that, yeah, when it's gaming, right, and you layer on top of that, oh, you're also now dealing with, you know, uh, a universe that is sacrosanct to me. You know, that just gets, <laughs> that gets really frightening. Yeah, that's the kind of point I wanted to make is like back then people were more forgiving. Now it's like, how dare you waste my time and how dare you crap all over my childhood memories and whatnot. And it's like, whoa, people just whoa, need wait, to wait. chill out. I have to say, what, what world are you living in that back then people were more forgiving? I don't really think that they were more forgiving of it. I just think that it wasn't as uh, mainstream, so to speak. So no, yeah, maybe you're right. I yeah. think nerd rage was a little more in check. Um, so like it wasn't like they couldn't go on TV shows or, or hop on like G4 TV and, and scream their rage or, or have their video blogs on YouTube and, and scream their rage. Or, or have their own podcast blog. and scream their rage. And scream their rage. Yeah. Like Roger <laughs> yeah. and his gold item. Yeah, Roger and his gold item. <laughs> yep. Had to be said and I felt I mean, better. But I mean we, we've really opened up as far as like social media is concerned on all all fronts. I mean, it's so easy to get on TV. It's so easy to get uh, a podcast going. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work involved, but I mean, any Yahoo could put something yeah. up there. It's not the best. Um, it's so easy to get a blog out there, um, and it's so easy to just just have everything cross reference over the internet that the, it, it's you're walking on eggshells more so now than you were ten years ago. Um, that's what I see. I don't see that it, it's it's they're more forgiving. I just see that there's more opportunities now for them to scream anonymously at the developers to say, "I hate you, die in a fire," when they shouldn't be. Um, you know, the anonymity of the internet it gives them this this power to do so. And you know, like Bill said, it's 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 that weird place to be because you know, especially with like Bioware, they're they're dealing with um, a universe that is so. To, to mess it up would be so sacrilegious to so many people um, that, you know, you have to worry about the backlash because stuff like that turns viral and, you know, it could really hurt you. I mean, Bill felt the burn of it, you know, even though he wasn't responsible for it, people started attacking him personally. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when the Star Wars nerds all of a sudden, you know, if something goes wrong, they're like, oh, fuck this shit and they go ape shit over it, you know? Yeah, that's that's. I mean, like, yeah, but we should move on to talk. But I just think it's kind of ridiculous now that we've gotten to that point where, I mean, it's harder. I personally, I think. I mean, I've been wanting to get into the gaming industry from a design standpoint. I don't know code to save my life, but it's just you can't get I, into I your like router. <laughs> I feel like it's. <laughs> I, I just. I don't know, man. I feel like it's harder to put games out now than. It could have been before. I mean, I disagree. More I disagree. I think it's actually probably easier now, not in terms of putting out the huge games that we've been talking about, but right now is a time when, thanks to Xbox Live, PSN, um, the App Store, that you can actually have a very small design company. Case in point, what's going on with Joe right now? No, where you can I, put I'm, something out. I, I want to make sure just to specify, as you're right, I mean, for the indie gamer, people like Joe right now, you know, you're, you're working on that title and through Xbox Live, there's a lot of different venues for us to get into the industry, but for these big companies and whatnot to stretch all their bets on a title, that's going to be some big blockbuster, you know, bank-breaking title, and then, I mean, the pressure now has to be infinitely higher, exponentially higher than it was before. Well, too you know, bad. That's just... 
That's, I mean, if you're choosing to take on something like Star Wars, you better damn well know what you're up against. I mean, case in point again with Bill, you're, you're taking on Star Trek. You knew what you were getting into when you took on the title. If there was any moment of trepidation where you were thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. I mean, then maybe you shouldn't because it's got to be something where if you've got the balls to take on something that big, then you better have the balls to deliver on it and to work your ass off. Uh, no, sure, definitely. I mean, that's that's something the team is, you know, that is the way they look at it. They're like, you know, they, they feel like they're, I mean, two degree gatekeepers for the IP, right? They're looking at like, we've got to kick ass on this. This has got to be great. There's so many people on that team that are truly Star Trek fans, you know, and for them, it's not just like, oh, I'm coming to work and I'm making a game. They're like, man, I got I to gotta make this thing that was such a huge part of me growing up and, you know, part of who I am, I got to make it great. Um, and, and that's been the thing, you know, I mean, the, uh, some of the videos, like the stuff that just went up last week of the ship to ship combat, you know, it just feels so good. It feels like Star Trek when you're playing, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's, and that I think was the thing, even when they decided to build missions are like, they're building episodes of the TV show, you know, they're like, and they, and they've laid it out. They're like, every mission has to have these things because, you know, these are, this is like we want to feel like oh man I'm I'm in an episode of the show I'm going to this thing we want you know we want players to recognize things but still have that that customizability and I think one of the things I really I really like is that you could go in and actually you know play uh, almost any of the races from the canon but then you know really for one of the first times uh, ever in the Star Trek universe you're able to actually create races right and and hmm. we we have all their guidelines on this is how you have to approach you know, facial construction and foreheads and noses and all these different things, you know, and built all that. And I, I think that's the, the biggest thing. Anybody who's been a real Star Trek fan that's had a chance to play the game so far, they go through it and they're like, God, this, just, I, man, this feels like I'm in Star Trek. And that was the goal. You know, how do we make it feel like you're there? And I think having people on the team that love that universe as much as, you know, the fans has been a really vital part of the whole process. So, yeah, so when you're talking about um, Rick, about like Bioware and the pressure on for Star Trek The Old Republic, or Star Wars The Old Republic, honestly, and it's not out of any disrespect for Bioware, but I fall on that same argument that I just gave. If you're taking on something that big, you better have the balls to do it right and to work your ass off to do it and to be prepared to take the backlash kind of thing. I mean, we're not talking about the personal bullshit that we were talking about during the interview with with, uh, with Bill. Like, common sense dictates that shouldn't occur. Right, but I mean, just right, in right. terms of being able to criticize a game if it's not well done without it being personal, saying, listen, this was wrong, this, 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 and this, then that's fine. Well, you better have the balls if you're taking on something that big. And... Um, and which leads us to our little rant for, for Ion right now. Um, did you guys actually watch the Vision of the Future video? I didn't yes. bother. You yes, didn't bother. I did. It was worth watching. I'll put it that way. It was actually worth watching just to see what they were planning, where, where they're planning on taking this, and just how much they listened to the audience in terms of what people told them was essentially needed to make this work and quite frankly i don't recall anybody saying player housing was necessary do you rick no no i don't recall that no at all better graphics i don't think that was ever mentioned i don't think anybody ever said this game does not look good enough what we need is more realism on those trees i maybe i missed something yeah i don't know maybe you heard it the mounts yes I'll give you that. That we bitched about the mounts because you gave us fucking wings and then keep 
putting up invisible barriers all over the goddamn place where you can't fly. So fine, mounts are cool, but it, they didn't. Again, the, the fucking video is so obscure that you have to make come to your own conclusions too. You can't tell whether or not something is actually going to be there or how it's going to work or whatever. It doesn't make it look like you'll be able to actually buy a mount and have a mount. They make it look no. like you're going to have to go in the wild and freaking club one in the back of the head and then jump onto its back. Joe, Joe, okay. Joe played Final Fantasy Online. Okay. Briefly. Remember remember how the only way that you could have a mount in the game, the only way you can travel to save your freaking life was to pay money and then you would be on a timer on your on, on your chocobo mount. Yep. Essentially, th- that's the one thing that really pisses me off in general about the whole Aeon thing. I mean, I, I got to understand on the one hand, they're just giving it as kind of a, com- a way to communicate with us with a show don't tell kind of thing where they're just showing us what they would like to do. And I can respect that. But at the same time, I don't understand how they could release all this information and not follow it up, like release this video and then not follow it up with at least a little bit of a tidbit. Because what it looks like, exactly like Roger said, is these people are on these mounts, and the way that you obtain your mount is you go out into the wilderness, you have a big bludgeonous stick, you hit the bird on the head like five times, and then suddenly the bird's got little hearts over its head, and it's all like, oh, I love you, mount me. I mean, I... I don't understand it. And as far as does the game need better graphics? No, it doesn't need better graphics. It doesn't need better shadows. That doesn't make the game. A pretty trailer with a bunch of pretty little graphics and pretty little cinematics does not make the game at all for me. Yeah, no, definitely. And there was a lot of other things, too, in the trailer that, quite frankly, I mean. Swimming? Swimming is should have been in from day one. Period. Yeah, but again, if you played through Guild Wars, this was something that you noticed with NC Soft, where the pathing is really annoying and it was especially annoying in guild wars and you can really notice it in this as well too where they put pathing and so i came to expect the pathing around water that you just would not be able to to do the water so that's fine so now that they're saying yeah you'll be able to swim and they gave the impression that there's going to be quests underwater which is all well and good that just means that they're going to add on new quests whether they add those quests in zones or i should say in um leveling zones were in from you know that 15 to 18 or 20 to 23 that's already hard to begin with to find quests they put those quests in there to make it easier that'd be no. fantastic I, but who knows no. i i i would say right now just off the bat looking at the ears like you said who knows really but they've got such a very small kind of claustrophobically restricted landmass just that the world feels small and yet when you're actually in the zones it feels like it's just too much space to travel. It's very, very strange how they managed to pull off that dynamic. I don't, I still don't get it. Like I would look in the zones and be like, wow, man, this is all I get for zones. But then once you're in the zone, I mean, holy crap, I got to spend the next 45 minutes running from point A to point B and I have to run my way there. And it's, I don't know, the, the whole the whole trailer, the whole cinematic thing was, this is very, it, the first thing that I said when I was done watching it, I kind of thought for a little bit and said, let me not be a critical asshole. Let me just think for a second. This seems very typical of NCSoft to produce something that is very edgy, you know, and, and kind of like teaserish or whatnot, just a, a lot of dangling of the carrot. But then, you know, when you finally get it, you realize it's it was nothing but a pretty cinematic. And I, I hate to be knocking on NCSoft because, you know, they, they have – they from what you're telling me, Guild Wars was an amazing title and Guild Wars 2 is something people are really looking forward to. 
but I just I don't get it. And the best part is, if, if we can move on to the next thing, is throughout this entire time we've got all these glaring issues with Ion. And, you know, Ion was supposed to be their baby, and now they got freaking Blade and Soul, another game. I mean, really, another game, another big MMO on a scale like this. I mean, come on, man, you're you're saturating it. Well, the thing that I found too is that they didn't resolve what we needed resolved. They or not nope. actually, we as North American player base and so all this pretty these pretty graphics certainly are not showing anything that they're fixing that needs to be fixed in the game to make it something that you can actually enjoy because it simply is not enjoyable as it stands now so then the um the, the this blade and soul you watch the the video and what does it show you I mean, there was a couple of videos that came out too. Let's be very clear. I was joking around with Kiki about this on Twitter because the first one that can, came out. Can I out, answer? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. No, because you asked the question, what does it show? And I'm like, oh, I want to answer. It shows pretty pictures and graphics from Magna Carta because it's the same art style, extremely large breasts, extremely big rippling muscles, and next to no clothing on all the exact same generic characters with big flashy animations. Uh, I was going to be a lot more crude. You ruined my crude. Because I, yeah, that's, now granted the the trailer, the video that came out um, today did show that they are actually showing, uh, using a lot of different character designs. Because from that first teaser, yes, basically it's, I don't know how these women can stand straight without toppling over. Not that the fall would hurt them because there's plenty of cushion there. And the guys are, you know, dunking their Cheerios in, in steroids. But the video that came out today that's actually quite a bit longer it's like 11 and a half minutes long it did show a whole bunch of other character designs as well some actually flat-chested chicks and some weird little gnomey thingies whatever but again what you're seeing is absolutely nothing it's eye candy it's all eye candy showing nothing but fight sequences and there's absolutely no story being shown no there the the 11 and a half minute one showed a few very brief instances of what may be like dungeon fights or whatever, but you really didn't see a lot. And you're not seeing many videos of any kind of cooperative play with a team or anything like that. So you're seeing nothing but fights and that's it. So I don't know how we're supposed to be excited about this. They, they hype this so much, just like they hyped this vision of the future. And frankly, I, how the hell are you going to get hyped over this? There, there's nothing, there's no content. Well, the last well, time we saw a pretty game, I mean, what happened? <laughs> yeah, the last time we saw a gorgeous game, it kind of went down the crap. But, but Roger, you and me were talking about this earlier, even before the show started through through Aim Chat. Um, the combat. I mean, Joe, have have you, have you seen the Blade and Soul uh, video, the the eleven minute yeah. trailer? Yeah. Okay. I have. Let me ask you this, and I'll, I'll even ask Bill if he's if he's still around. And we haven't bored him to death with all of our all of our chit chat. Um, oh no, I am riveted. <laughs> no, I mean, like. <laughs> Okay. We don't know you well enough to know whether or not that was sarcastic or not. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, we got to have Bill on the show more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Anyway, well, think about it. Does that combat look to you like MMO combat? I mean, that looks like, like a platformer. It looks like a fighting game. It looks like something game. I would play on my... Yeah, it's like I, 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 if I want to play something 
over the shoulder third person where I'm taking my the enemy player and I'm launching him 20 feet downfield or something and I'm doing all this big like you know over the top fighting scenes I want to do that with a controller you know with a d-pad and freaking pulling off combo moves and shit or platforming and jumping from ledge to ledge like I would on a console I don't know how the hell that's going to work for an MMO I don't even know if I want that to be in, in an MMO it just what, seems weird what ruined it for me was the sequence with the uh, the giant dude with his you know red sweater vest or whatever the fuck it was and the chick with the tail and they're squaring off and the camera's just kind of rotating them around them and it just screamed to me like you know bad action movie where you put fast camera angles to hide horrible action and I just like you I just I can't see how they're gonna pull it off I mean it just it seems like I should be playing this with like a PS2 controller jacked into my computer and you know hope I hit my combo point you know what happens when I find my Eddie Gordo character and just you know find three buttons that makes me never lose a fight I don't know I'm just pretty much I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm just kind of worried. It, it just feels awkward, right? Yes. Yes. See, that's the one thing that kind of hit me is that in all these footage and all this, you know, the ion preview future thing in this blade and soul, they don't show you and they refuse to show you. I think personally how it would be like playing the game. Cause let's face it. It's an MMO. You're going to have to do some kind, even in the most minuscule sense of repetitive grind kind of like, or even questing kind of like, or whatever they, it's just, they, it, there's gotta be something like that. There's gotta be a UI. Your character is not going to be in constant yeah. battle all the time. That, Show me what it's like if I'm fighting my 20 rats or whatever the hell it is. Show that, me how that you're going to do that. Me. No UI. I mean, I'm sorry. And all the previews that I've seen for every other MMO that is, that is really been pushed. I mean, even, Star Wars, um, they show you the UI. You see real in-game combat. Um, you're, you, I just don't understand why they have to make it like a, a movie trailer, an 11 and a half minute movie trailer versus, you know, give me some glimpse of the goddamn gameplay, like in actual gameplay, not just like, you know, PvP battles or, you know, this character class versus this character class. Like you said, show me, you know, fighting 20 rats or, you know, farming the undead corn, whatever. You know, give me something and show me the interface. Show me how this combat's going to work. Just don't make it look pretty. Yeah, I don't you know. know that's I mean, really one of the hardest things to do, right, is when you're when we sit around and talk about trailers, it's like we want this to be for someone who's going to be like, hey, I've heard about whatever it is, Champion, Star Trek, you know. It's like you, you want to have something that's like, ooh, it kind of pulls them in. Ooh, that's really cool, right? But at the same time, you know that people are there saying, how does this game work? Like, what's this really going to do? Um, and it's, and it's really difficult, you know, I mean, when, when a game is out and people know how it plays already, I think you can get away a lot more with, we're going to give you something set within the world. I don't need to show you as much about here's the interface, right. And that kind of stuff. Like if you look at the nemesis confrontation trailer, trailer we just did, right. That was Mm -hmm. uh, much more about trying to a story and a feel and you fight your nemesis and people know what those what those things are. But if you look at the recent Star Trek stuff we did, you know, we were like, let's be like super informational and clip in devs talking about how things work and show interface. And, you know, I think that there's a certain point where you're making trailers that are there to excite and entice. And, but you've got to be balancing that out with stuff that is giving players information. Because they want to know, wait, what is this game going to be? Why do I want to play this? And, and that's one thing that I found that like, 
you guys at Cryptic have done incredibly well, um, I mean, with Champions, with, you know, Star Trek, is you give the information bundle as well as the, the glimpses to excite. And all I'm seeing from NCSoft are these, like, things that are supposed to excite me. And that bothers me a lot because, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of information behind some of these things. Like, and, and, I, and I hate to say it, but, I mean, Ion definitely left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it was this game that, you know, I took a chance on because I didn't really get to see, like, the interface or how combat, combat worked, um, you know, in the game environment so much. And it just looked pretty. It looked cool. It looked awesome. And went to go play it and failed spectacularly. You know, it just it just lost my attention. Whereas, like, I know what I'm getting into. Like, when I was following Champions Online in particular, you know, I saw the interface. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's intuitive. I know what I'm going to be doing, you know. And then when it came time for, like, the excitement trailers when they were talking, showing off the, like, showcases of the powers and things like that, I didn't need to see the interface. Those got me excited because I've already seen the interface. I don't know. It's 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 like you said with a movie. Um, you you see a trailer for a movie. The trailer really hypes you up, and you're like, man, I want to see this movie. This is going to be awesome. You go in and you go see the movie, and then maybe it didn't really deliver what you want. And hey, you're out ten bucks. With MMOs specifically, in the, in this specific genre, and to a lesser extent, gaming in general, I think because I know gaming is kind of like coming up now as this major mainstream form of entertainment, and that makes me very very happy because i think gaming is a wonderful way to tell story and a wonderful way to convey even art to some degree but we're not going to talk about that now i guess um we invest more than 10 bucks man we we invest 50 to 60 dollars up front followed by 10 to 15 dollars a month or per downloadable content and then some and it's just that's a big money investment that's an extremely massive time investment you know and it's just like 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 bill said earlier you know it's a lifestyle you you play these games and that's just what it is. You know, you play World of Warcraft, you have your World of Warcraft blog with your Twitter talking about World of Warcraft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we do World of Warcraft merchandising and blah, 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 blah. I mean, people, at least the developers, NCSoft in particular is the one that I'm kind of zeroing in on is they're giving us these really great teasers and these beautiful machinima cinema, you know, in-game graphic kind of things like, wow, man, that is awesome. I, what, what is this game? You know, like what is... The point of this game, you just showed me the trailer to a kung fu movie that you're doing with CG graphics in game machinima instead of doing it with traditional live action. That's that's what I got from all these videos. That's all I got. All that just to say, Tiss and Ass are beautiful and we appreciate them, but we'd like to see some content too. Yeah. This is DP King, and you're listening to For the Law. Welcome back to For the Lore. This is Roger on Monday, as I said before, and I've got with me, same as normal, I've got Joe as well as Rick. We've also got a special guest today. Now, to say that, just give him a normal introduction, would not be fair to the man, considering everything he has accomplished. So we're going to let Joe take this one away with a little bit of fanboyism. Go ahead, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged and honored to have the Bill Roper on the show today, a man who is in the top 50 game creators of all time, and a man who has had a hand in some of, not only some of our favorite games, but some of the most influential games of all time. Bill, thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Thank you guys for having me on. This is, uh, is going to be a blast. I can tell already from the pre-show that we're going to have a good time. <laughs> like I said, the <laughs> liquor helps. Now, what Joe was saying, too, is true. Like, you've had your hand in absolutely amazing games. When you look back through gaming history and you've got your Warcraft, your Diablo, your Starcraft, just to name a few. Now, how did you actually get into gaming? 
Uh, actually, it's really interesting. It was a, a crossover from uh, from music for me. I had a, a good friend that was an artist at Blizzard Entertainment, and he let me know that they were going to be doing uh, a couple of games that they needed uh, some music for. And so I put a demo reel together, sent that in, uh, and actually got a contracting job doing the music for the PC version of Blackthorn, which was a, a, a console title that Blizzard had done. Uh, back in the Silicon and Synapse days, which was their name before they became Blizzard. Uh, and then right at the same time, and uh, probably not as as impressive because my voice is shot from singing and yelling all weekend, uh, but I also did a lot of voiceover work for them. And the very first thing they did was put a demo reel together for uh, the original Warcraft Orcs and Humans game. And so they wanted to have some voiceover work, so uh, I kind of got some insight as to what they were looking for there, and I, I put together a demo reel for that as well, and so they brought me in to do some... Uh, voiceovers describing what the game was about. Kind of the funny part was when I came in, I sat down, I was in the room with uh, Glenn Stafford, who was their, their sound and music guy at the time, and uh, and he showed me some stuff, and he pulled this screen up that showed this very early run-through of a CG through some trees leading up to a castle. And he said, well, this is what we're going to talk about, uh, how the orcs and humans are fighting. I said, do you have a script? And they were like, No. We don't, we don't have a script. So I was used to reading from scripts, voice of work. I said, all right, well, we should write one. So I sat down and wrote out a bunch of script stuff. And that's where that very first, in the age of chaos, two factions battled for dominance <laughs> and all that kind of stuff came from. Um, so that was how I got started, you know, doing, doing some music and some voiceover work. And then uh, I begged and, and, you know, my way onto the, onto the team and into the company. That's actually pretty cool that you were involved that early on in some of the projects. I mean, when you're looking at Warcraft and how much, like, I mean, they're celebrating the 15 years now, to have been part of that very initial development is actually fairly cool. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I came on in about the last five to six months of the project is when I started there. And, and like I said, I did the contract work. And then... Um, I, I I literally wrote a letter saying I I want to work here I'll do anything I'll just tell you how long it was I'll run your bulletin board system I'll test I'll take customer calls uh, I think I offered uh, my Alpha Rock Hydra card from Magic to like the VP at the time and you know told the president I'd wash his car it was like anything anything to get in um, and so they asked me they said you know uh, they said okay well you know hey let's give you a shot. I came in, and the first day I worked there, I started, they said, well, you know, we're not really sure if we have enough work for you to do, but we decided we're going to hire you anyway. And I haven't stopped running since in the games industry. Uh, you know, just uh, I, I've never had a slow moment, that's for sure. So it was pretty fun. The first thing they had me do was actually, they asked if I, uh, if I had written the, the voiceover stuff, and I said, yeah, I, I had. And they said, well, that's good. We, we really don't have a background or any missions for this game. So I got to basically do that kind of thing that I, I loved doing when I was uh, doing a lot of GMing, which is I got to create the world. So I got to come up with all the reasons why orcs were there and the humans and why they were fighting and the main characters. And, you know, all they had was that they knew that there was orcs and humans, they hated each other and they was fighting, and that the main bad guy's name was Blackhand. And that was what they had. So uh, I was given free reign to, to lay that initial groundwork for what has, uh, you know, well passed my hands. Um, you know, become uh, maybe the biggest game, you know, on the planet. We are talking about the early days of uh, the project, getting your hands on it and being able to get to mold it into something um, that has now since grown to epic proportions. Um, what did the early days of Blizzard feel like? What, what was the emotion or the feeling of the 
the office, the energy of it. It, it was very much like a frat house, to be honest. <laughs> it was like <laughs> a bunch of guys, uh, you know, living the dream. Uh, I actually started right after, maybe like two months after they'd been purchased by Davidson and Associates. So they had made it through that scrappy startup period, had done um, some really fantastic console titles. Uh, they'd done Lost Vikings and uh, Rock and Roll Racing and Blackthorn um, and were really coming into their own and now had that security of, of having uh, ownership above them. So it wasn't, you know, Alan and Mike and those guys figuring out how to pay people's salaries off of credit cards, uh, like happens, I think, far too commonly in the startup world. And so really what it was was this group of guys that had all, you know, pulled together, come through, uh, you know, lived, lived this whole thing together. Um, and, you know, we'd hang out at the office and play Magic and uh, play Neo Geo and, uh, you know, and SNES and, uh, and hang out and order food. And, you know, I mean, we were all great friends past just working together. And you just spend a lot of time together. And uh, I was the 17th employee there. And so when a company's that small, you know, everybody knows everybody else really well. So it's that energy of everybody knows each other, everybody's kind of giving each other, you know, a lot of good-natured ribbing, uh, you know, having a good time, uh, but, but working really, really hard because you do have that feeling of it's us against the world, and we're going to show everybody what we can do. And uh, I think that that element of it, that, that solidarity, you know, that, that we are Blizzard, which was kind of the way we thought about it, uh, I think really persists there today, even though they're, up, you know, they're in the thousands of employees. How much uh, of that? They, they maintain that. How much of that influenced the the old way of making the games back then? Of the, it'll be done when it's done. Which a lot of companies didn't do that back then. They didn't have the the essentially the balls to say, listen, we we know our games are good. We know what needs to be done on them, and so it'll be done when it's done, and not bowing down to the corporate pressure to get products out all the time. I think it was, I mean, I, I think part of it is, it is balls, but I think part of it was the fact that we were extremely fortunate to have uh, our parent company believe in that, right? So uh, Davidson and Associates, uh, Bob and Jan Davidson were huge proponents of that. And they said, look, if it takes you an extra month, two months, three months, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, we, it was up to us to show them how much better the product would be because of what we were doing. Uh, but they were like, look, we want to be right. You know, you can only make a, you only have one chance to make a good first impression. So that was very important to them for us to be able to do that. Um, and I think that's the, the key component. I think you'll find almost every developer wants to sit and do that, right? They, they, they're like, look, we, it needs another X amount of time. We need to be able to do this to it to make it better. Um, you know, and unfortunately it usually comes down to the, the harsh realities of, what the size of the budgets are, how much time's already been spent, you know, it's got to get out to make a quarter, whatever that is. Um, I think the, the the huge benefit that Blizzard had um, and still has, uh, next to the fact that you know excellent development and, and knowing what they're doing and wanting to take the time is having that support from the people that control the purse strings to be able to say yes, you guys go ahead and take that time that you need and and make the game what you want it to be before it goes out the door. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Um, you were talking about the, the the magic. I know that myself. I'm pretty sure that Joe as well has quite a fair collection of still probably your magic cards, right? 
Oh, yes, I do. I got boxes and boxes full <laughs> still. And it's, that's something that I used to do a lot with uh, actually my eldest son and both my uh, my youngest son now, too, played a lot of that, did a hell of a lot of the, um, the variety of the trading card games and whatnot. And it is something that if you're playing a good one, it can influence your, your creativity when you are working on a game or a story or whatever. Something I didn't do, though, was the pen and paper uh, RPG like you were talking about earlier, but Joe, Joe actually did and still yeah, does. And Yes, I do very regularly. And that actually was going to lead into my next question. Uh, We're talking about early days uh, and you made mention of being a DM. um, But I have to ask, what other games besides like the traditional D&D were you into back then? I mean, what, what, what did you get a handle on and run and play with your friends? Uh, actually, I mean, I played. I, I started in terms of uh, RPGs. I started with with D and D, obviously. But then, actually, when I, by the time I got into college, um, uh, I, I had played some Traveler before that. Um, we played a lot of GURPS and a lot of Champions. Were really, I think, the two biggest systems we played. Uh, and then, then the similarity that they shared was that ability to create. Uh, the type of character that you that you envisioned in your head, right? So you were able to come and say, oh, I want to make this guy, and he's like this, and he does that, and he has these abilities. Um, and, and both those systems um, are incredibly flexible um, and allow you to make, you know, pretty much whatever you can come up with. So it let us do a lot of really good storytelling, coming up with really fun and compelling characters for us to, to be able to put into a game. And uh, I just really liked both the systems a lot and that was predominantly the the rpging i was doing i was playing tons of board games and card games and stuff too but uh you know on the rpg stance those were those were the big influences i think uh through my my college years and and was still playing a ton of of uh, both of those when i actually started at blizzard well and that's going to lead into my next question here when you're, you're talking about you're continuing to play it when you you moved into blizzard how much do you think that having that background uh, in the pen and paper role-playing games helped you propel yourself in this career? I think it did a lot, um, especially since the first things I was doing was was writing and storytelling and, and, and world-building. Uh, you know, so that's you, – you do a lot of that when you're paper and pencil jamming. And you can always just, you know, pick up uh, missions and runs and adventure packs and things like that and run those. And But, I, you know, it was always much more compelling – from a GM standpoint to actually create the entire world and do all that work in it. And uh, certainly from the character standpoint, you know, creating like characters, I was always into coming up with them, you know, big, elaborate, fun, strange backstory for them and why they were, they were, I, I, I would never play just the straight up, you know, fighter or mage or something. It always had to have some really weird twist to it. So I think that that helped a lot when I got started, you know, it gives you a common vocabulary too, when you're working with other developers. Hmm. We're going to touch now on something that you brought up here when you were talking about having that financial background or financial backing to be able to to do some of what Blizz did with only releasing games when they were ready. Obviously, a good segue to touch then on Flagship and on Hellgate. Um, How much of Hellgate do you think would have been different had you had a lot more time to get it ready? Uh, I think I think it, there would have been a lot of things that um, were different at the end. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't think it needed a lot more time. You know, I think if we would have had another three to six months, that would have been good. Um, and it, and it certainly wasn't uh, a project that was was slightly funded. You know, I never felt like uh, we were ever 
shirked on the amount of money that we were given to work on the project. Um, I think the difficulties for us were uh, were a fewfold. Um, one, we were building a company, and we actually ended up having to build two companies. Uh, we not only had to build flagship studios, which was uh, you know the creators of, of games. We were making you know making Hellgate London there, but we also had to spin up Ping Zero, which was our online basically services company. So to be able to actually get the game online, the back end, the billing, uh, customer service and support, we, we had to build all of that ourselves too. Um, so I think that was kind of a, a double-fold challenge in trying to run both of those things. I think another thing that really hurt us is we just we just simply tried to do too much. See, that's what uh, I was going to say too. Yeah, um, even in terms of just the game, right? <clears throat> Forget trying to run two companies. It was It was the fact that we were doing a game that was single-player, and it was free to play, and there was a subscription plan, and it was on Vista, one of the first games on Vista, but it also supported, you know, way back in the early Windows stuff, and it had, uh, you know, high-end, cutting-edge graphics, but at the same time, we did low-poly versions of everything. Uh, we were part of the games for Windows. I mean, like, you know, anything you could think of, we were trying to get in there. And I think that was really based out of, you know, our, our Blizzard background, because all the founders we were all guys from Blizzard North. And, you know, we were like, yeah, we got to do it. Swing for the fences, get everything in there. Uh, you know, but we weren't Blizzard and we didn't have that, you know, uh, that amount of time to spend to sit there. And, and really what it got to is I think when we got to the end of the project and we started entering that testing phase, we realized, wow, we've bitten off so much more than we can chew to get done in the amount of time that we have budgeted. Um, you know, and I, even just to the fact where, you know, I think we shipped in something like 17 languages and we'd be running a gold master and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. The Slovakian version came back with too many bugs. You know, it's like, okay, now we've got to do an entire new test cycle. So just things took so much longer than we thought they would take. Um, even based on our experience to get in that test portion where if we would have had, you know, extra time to, to test the game, to fix bugs and to, you know, hammer out things. And, you know, I, I think that people saw that in the patches we did immediately after the game launched, but uh, I think any more, you know, uh, especially games that are even near the MMO space or in the MMO space, it's incredibly difficult. Players have a, a very high level of expectation based on the fact that, that, you know, a lot of the games they play and that they love and they're in have been around for three or four or five years. And I've had a lot of time for them to continue to grow that game and build that game and add new features and add new technologies. And when you come out with a new game in that space, there's this almost unreachable baseline of expectation. Well, see, what I found... Like, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What I found with, with Hellgate London is that there was a lot of hype with that game um, because of everything that you guys were talking about doing with the game and the scope of it, like you just said. And then just because it was you guys as well, you're getting a bunch of guys from Blizzard who are now in their own company. And so there was a lot of hype and a lot of expectation and a lot of um, a lot of trust that you had already earned from your Blizzard days. Um, so there was a lot going in. So like when the game actually launched, I actually picked up a collector's edition myself, and then my son picked up one as well. We were literally there day one playing. And what the impression that I got playing it was very much that it was the old bitten off more than you could chew kind of syndrome where there was the expectation had been so great. And yet if you looked at the core basis of the game was actually good. The, the concepts, the, the gameplay, and a lot of things. It, the impression that I got was simply that 
there had not been enough time to finish everything that you wanted, which is why you had so many alleyways that looked the same and different things like that. And then the bugs as well that were in there, but that had there been time to concentrate on just those and create a very distinct style for everything and put in everything so that again, that again, a smaller project, but much more defined, it probably would have done a hell of a lot better. Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. You know, I think that was the thing is that, uh, you know, and part of the, that hype and that excitement too was, you know, one when you're when you're putting a, a company together and out and getting funding and you know in a in an always tough market, you know, the people that are going to get behind that and and you know and us as well really had to you know push that hype on it like, hey, we got to get people excited, right? We wanted them to go out there and and be excited about the company and the game, everything we're doing, uh, and I think that to to a degree that actually worked against us in the end because I think uh, players were expecting us to redefine PC gaming by the time we came out, you know, and I think if there would have been lower expectations of what the game were going to be, uh, a lot more people would have been happy with it, not from the bug standpoint, but just from what we actually delivered. Because the, the core gameplay was really fun. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was it was basically, uh, you know, a Diablo-style action RPG with shooter elements, you know, and that was, that was the goal. I think the core vision of what we wanted the gameplay to be actually stuck there, and there was a lot of things we did that players really liked. Um, but... I, I think there was that that very very high level of expectation, coupled with the fact that you know we, well I think we got towards the end and then we knew we were going to have to ship because we were out of money, and you know I don't think that even necessarily our publishing partners disagreed that we didn't need more time, but everybody was kind of all in, you know at that point there's no more chips to push to the table to try to get another you know, get more cards in the river it was like well I got to play the hand I got and I'm all in so we got to go. Um, and that's the tough part, you know, and that's, that's the hardest thing when you're an independent um, developer is that sometimes you just, you have to make a call and, and we would have been much better served if we would have had a, a smaller target to shoot for. Uh, but I think that part of that too was us trying to live up to uh, what we knew the expectations or we thought the expectations would be of our fans and, and what they were for ourselves. You know, it's, it's hard to, uh, to, you know, play for the Yankees and then you go to, you know, the, uh, the mud hens, cause you're, cause you're a new league or something <laughs> and go, all right, well, uh, you know, I guess we're just going to sit here and make a little thing. You're like, no God, I'm used to, I'm used to playing at Yankee stadium. That's what we got to do. So, you know, I think we, I think we did fall victim to that and, that, and some of that was self-imposed. Now, one of the things that you said recently, I read in an interview too, is how you were feeling that a lot of the criticism that came after Hellgate was actually very personal as well. Um, I've talked to people about Hellgate a lot over the years, and it's funny because I had, again, I, I maintained that the core gameplay of the game is solid um it was fun as well but there was i experienced a lot of bugs in it of course and i experienced it was a lot of the same things whereas it wasn't as fleshed out as i would have hoped it would have been however if it would have been had more time in the cooker essentially maybe that would have been different like you said but i never would attack who's making the game personally but you were saying that you're finding that you a lot of it was personal yeah, it was actually um, it, it was really disappointing, uh, and and at that time was was in you know uh, on a on a personal level was very very difficult for me uh, because people would literally be in in our forums talking about how uh, you know because I was 
you know, the spokesman for the company and for the game, so I'm the one who's got my neck up there on the line, right, uh, would be talking about how I lied to them and how I misused them and how I, I purposely did things to steal money from them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it, was, it, got, it got bad enough to where uh, I was even going through a divorce at the time. And uh, oh, I can't help. somehow somebody found out about that. And on the forms, it's like, oh, well, it's no wonder uh, that uh, he's going through divorce. He probably lied to his wife about oh, his penis, too. Ew. I mean, oh, I'm like, yeah. wow, really? Really? No it's class. Like, wow. Yeah, really? but see, I mean, you know, and, it's the Internet. you got to expect that level of stupidity. Sure. But it's, yeah, but it's oh, the kind man. of thing where, I, I, you know, I think now I've, you know, that I will say that gave me an entirely new level of armor. Uh, <laughs> Damn right. I'm uh, <laughs> yeah, in the right place a, too. Was a, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that was it. Was it was a very difficult time, you know, because um, in the wake of the game not doing as as well as we needed it to, um, you know, we struggled. To, we were trying to keep the company alive. Uh, we went to you know great lengths, both business wise and personally, to try to make that happen. Um, you know, and so having to deal with with all of that at the same time. Uh, you know, be, made it a very, very dark period uh, for me. No, no. And it was just amazing to see people not just say like, wow, I was really hoping this game would be good. And it wasn't, man, that game sucked. And as opposed to that, it was, you know, wow, these guys that made this game, you know, and just, and, and just the, the, the vitriol, the hatred that was coming across on a personal level really blew me away. You know, like I never go see a film and, you know, say, Oh wow, that film was lousy. You know, I don't then sit there and look at the director and say, Oh, obviously that guy hates me personally and came after me and man, I hope he dies of cancer. And I, you know, it was just ridiculous stuff that was getting said. Well, and I, unless and I it think was now Michael if Bay. I saw those things, it, it wouldn't affect me as much, but then, uh, you know, and with the culmination of everything else and, you know, that being the first company that I ever went out and started up and everything, I think it all, it all baked in, but it was, it was, you know, it was disappointing and it was, it was shocking. I mean, I was really blown away at the, at the personal level that people sunk to. Well, I would uh, be surprised know. too, if you are, again, I would assume that because of the hype of, again, it's the boys from Blizzard, you guys probably had a lot of backing before the game came out and a lot of that hype and a lot of the support. And then for it to come crashing and then get to that personal level, that's a hell of a drop. Yeah. And I mean, certainly that, you know, that was a part of it. And, uh, and it's interesting. I mean, even when, you know, the, even people would look at, uh, you'd see people trying to come in and have some level of, uh, I don't know, some sanity in the discussion, you know, people were just like, Oh no, no, we were, you know, it's like, I wasted this money and I, blah, blah, blah. And so you're like, God, it's, it, you know, it's a game really. <laughs> it's not like I promised you I was going to save your mother's life. And then, you know, uh, left the sponge in after the surgery. You know, like, I, it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, you know, it's like we, we made a video game and it wasn't as good as you wanted it to be. And it wasn't as good as we hoped it would be. And I don't, you know, it's like, but it yeah, happens. it was, it was, it became like a personal uh, affront and assault on those people. And so they decided to turn that around, uh, you know, against us as individuals. And so the, the tough part being me being the, the forefront of the, of that, I got the brunt of it, but, uh, yeah, it was just it was it was really shocking to see that happen and 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 really, you know, really made me sad because it's like I, I I would hope that, you know, I, I really believe that gamers in general are good folks. You know, they, they get together because they want to be social. They want to have fun. Um, you know, there's I've played in so many games, both, you know, tabletop and and online where, you know, people are having a great time and yeah, they're competitive. But, you know, it's all in the spirit of fun. 
and then just seeing those people that, you know, every day I go in and try to do the best I can to, to make games for them, just get vicious like that. It was just, it was really disappointing. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it is something, too, that we see on, on, on forums, period. I mean, you don't have to stay on the WoW forums or the ION forums long to see that level of stupidity out there. Moving on from there, though, and just brighten the topic up a little bit again, you were talking about how, again, it's, um, again, for a, a company starting up that um, you guys took on far too much kind of thing and we saw just recently now with torchlight with the runic games boys um how they took they learned their lesson from that and created a far smaller game we we had the, the privilege of interviewing them a few uh, few weeks back too and it was interesting to hear how again they learned from that from working on mythos how and losing something that meant so much and then now they're working on something a lot smaller I don't. When you left, um, when flagship ended, was there any thought of joining the Runic, or were you immediately picked up by Cryptic? Really, I mean, I was really glad that Max and Eric, uh, and you know Peter were able to keep those guys together, Travis and all the crew up in Seattle, because um, we were. I mean, that was a thing for us. I think that we we had learned the lesson at flagship. Right. And so the Seattle guys is like, we are making a smaller game. We've got all the technology to build off of, you know, we, it felt like that was, that was us being able to turn the corner. We were just never able to get there um, with mythos. So when they kept the guy, kept the team together and then started working on Torchlight, you know, um, it was for anybody that was in the mythos beta and has now played Torchlight, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have done that and they're like, yeah, this, this is, oh, I can totally see this is where that was going to go. And it's so awesome that that was realized, you know, with the other company. Um, I think the thing that was hard for me is that they, they had to work very fast to be able to keep those guys together. You know, Eric and Max really had to, to spin up fast and, you know, they funded out of their pocket to do that. Um, and I still had the responsibilities of, of closing down flagship, oh. uh, you know, and, and working with the banks and those kinds of things. I just didn't really have, you know, to be dead honest, the mental or probably, you know, emotional bandwidth to be trying to do both things at the same time. And to start from scratch um, so, again as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was more kind of taking on those uh, those last duties as the captain of the ship, right, as it was going down, with we were, it. You know, going down right? <laughs> so um, doing that. But I was really happy they did that. You know, and I, and I think if I would have had uh, any of the required wherewithal to, to do that with them, I would have. Um, but, you know, I just it, the timing didn't work right for what I felt I still had to do. Well, that being said, uh, I can't imagine you have too many regrets being at Cryptic now either. No, I've actually, had, I, I felt really fortunate. You know, I, I talked with a lot of different companies um, once I kind of put myself back out on the job market. Um, had a lot of really interesting opportunities, but I really liked the crew at Cryptic. I, I liked their vision, what they wanted to accomplish there, um, you know, uh, and, and the teams. And, uh, you know, like I I'd, I'd mentioned, right, you know, I, one of the early games I played on the paper and pencil side, it was champions. And so to get a chance to work in the champions universe was, was really awesome. It was a, a nice kind of circle for me in terms of RPGs. So yeah, I, I'm really happy, you know, that I ended up being able to go somewhere and, uh, you know, have a, have a, a high level of responsibility, but, uh, I have to admit it was kind of nice not having to have, you know, the, the, the top line responsibility for a while again. <laughs> but that's where you're at right now. How much of your position now has a direct impact on that, that game, everything about it? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm the executive producer on it. So, 
you know, when it when it push comes to shove, the buck stops with me. Yeah. Uh, on the game, uh, I'm also design director at the company, so I get to occasionally stick my nose in on other stuff. Um, but I've been really, really focused on champions. You know, first, I mean, I came on and I was there for about the last nine months of the game or so, um, nine to ten months, and uh, that's that was very reminiscent of what I used to do at Blizzard. I tended to get um, pushed on the projects in the last six to twelve months to get it out the door. Uh, so it was really interesting to come back into that situation again. Um, you know, I, I had to learn a new team and new technology and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, so I'm day to day. That's, that is what I put my main focus on is, is building champions and do, you know, a continually bigger and better game. So if you're poking your nose into other things, are you poking it into Star Trek online as well? A little bit here and there? Uh, a little bit here and there. I think, you know, we all are now, um, at the, at, really every level in the company. Um, you know, that's Craig Zinkovich's title. He's the EP on that. He's doing a great job on it. And, uh, you know, I have the chance to, you know, it's more like getting into discussions and coming up with ideas and how to like, you know, change systems or improve things or make things work better or, you know, just try to add uh, some more thought, you know, or fuel to the fire on getting the thing out. Um, but I think it's, it's really, it's a really powerful uh, way that they approach the development of the games where, you know, every product has its own executive producer and they're the ones that are responsible for maintaining that vision and that, that quality of the product across. And so, you know, I, uh, I try to walk that line of, of talking to Craig and throwing ideas in and, you know, doing what's requested and required, but, you know, I don't want to run his show. That's, you know, he's, he's been doing it for a while and he does an amazing job at it. Huh. Well, I actually picked up uh, champions online and it's, it took me two tries to get, really into it and to get a feel for it um i'm obviously not a novice gamer but i don't know there was something about the game that i found a little bit just different enough that it took the second try to really get hooked and now i am having a lot of fun i'm i'm i'm, I'm in canada questing right now i'm being canadian i'm laughing a lot at the the stereotypes in there and the snow and everything but i'm having a lot of fun i don't know if um when you were first working on it too, if you foresaw that there'd be a slighter, a different learning curve for people because of a lot of the things that it does differently than typical MMOs. Yeah, I mean, we, we did, we, we really tried to cover that a lot in the tutorial and I think we did a pretty good job. Um, we, we've learned a lot since the game's been out and even gone back in and changed things to make things easier to understand. Um, because there are some things that are different. Uh, I think there's some, it, it's a very powerful game system from the fact that it's incredibly flexible, uh, you know, and, and very much trying to stay with the, the spirit of, of what champions is as a, as a core game system. Uh, but it, it also means that there's a lot of things that, you know, it gets a little bean counter. You've got to really look at it um, and make sure that you understand where you're going with things, understand how powers work together and advantages and like all these systems. Um, but the, the, really the core of it was we was, uh, you know, when I come on, I came on board, you know, they said, look, we're, what we're trying to accomplish here is combining, you know, some, some action RPG elements, you know, but with wow sensibilities. So that's what we tried to, you know, that's why I tried to get out the door. Um, and I think that there's where people need to get challenges where we, we take things differently than common MMOs, you know, and it is that learning curve that's there. And so we, we did try to, to address those things. And it's, and it's a big thing that we look at now as we go through and, and we put out new content, uh, you know, or do go back and review old content. It's like, how can we make this more accessible? How can we make sure we're getting our message across and that players are actually, you know, getting what we're trying to, to get them to. And, 
as a person who fell in love with the game when it first came out and was watching it since it was announced, I mean, I've been singing the praise of Champions Online uh, since even before it was released, before it was released for general consumption. And having been a player of the old Champions role-playing system as well, I was always eager to see it come up. Um, I'm enjoying it fully, and I know that a lot of people are as well. And I'm also seeing the care that you guys are putting into it when you're tapping your audience and you're asking questions. And like you just pointed out, you're going back and looking at the old content to make new content and make it more accessible and more fun. It's easy for me to criticize from the outside and praise it and look at it. How do you feel it's going from the inside as somebody who has a different perspective than we do? Uh, you know, well, but, but also, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because uh, we always feel like, you know, I think the hardest part for developers is um, you, you can never even get close to a one-to-one -one ratio on the amount of time it takes you to make content, the amount of time that players blow through it, um, you know. And so we'll work for, uh, you know, six weeks on on a particular piece of content. You know, we'll put it in, and that's going to be an hour and a half of gameplay. You know, uh, or we'll try to make it an extensible system, so maybe that ends up being, you know, 40 hours of gameplay if we were really lucky, right? But it's like, okay, we spent six weeks to make 40 hours, um, you know. Uh, and so, really, what we've we've been doing is trying to come up with uh, with systems that players can do things with. The uh, crossover system was one we did where basically uh, it's a way for players to really, really easily share missions. Um, you know, common mission sharing in MMOs is if you're eligible for the mission, I can share it with you and then you'll get the mission and can do it together. Um, and we found that that was really restrictive, especially in the way our game's laid out. So what we ended up doing was having it be, I can share a mission with anybody. If they're eligible for it, they actually get the primary mission just like I have it. But if they're really not eligible for it, for any reason, they've already done it, they're not a high enough level, they don't have the proper prereqs in the mission chain, any of those things, um, they get this crossover version of the mission, which is the full mission, they go through it, they have a different set of rewards that they get um, than the regular mission, and it doesn't affect their regular their primary mission status. And that was a way where we realized, well, we could really open up people being to very easily play with each other and go through things. And even it's like, oh, I went through that mission. You know, it was really fun. I want to go through it again. I'll go through it with you. And then, boom, I get the whole mission again. So I get all the, the different bells and whistles and pieces of it. Uh, and, and that's, you know, the, the part that we've been trying to do is how do we create fun systems? How do we create things that players will be excited to go in and, you know, do several times. You know, I think the Nemesis system is a good example of that, where uh, it's, you know, you get to create the villain that then becomes a part of that storyline. And you want to create, like, you know, a bunch of different villains. You kind of build up your rogues gallery. And we just actually, over this past, um, you know, our Thanksgiving down here, um, just did the uh, big Nemesis confrontation release, which is a, a five-hero lair that uses all of, that uses Nemesis from each of the players is kind of some of the main villains in it. Uh, so it was us combining some of our end game stuff with our, our nemesis stuff. Uh, and I think really that's, that's been the thing where we were, you know, you always feel like you're chasing because players want more, 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 you know, MMOs are a hungry monster and you got to keep figuring out how to feed them. So for us, that's been, that's been the challenge is, you know, while we listen to and work with uh, our community is also trying to make sure that we can actually get content out um, that is going to keep those players happy. But now you say that, what I've noticed from you guys, and this is certainly not to kiss anybody's ass, we've said it in the podcast before, what I've noticed from you guys is you guys are actually trying to 
to please your audience and you're trying to do things to um, to really further the game based on what the audience is telling you they're, they're kind of interested in. What we've been seeing with games like Ion right now is that they're having such a problem with that very mentality and a lot of it is because of the um, the fact that again that's that Ion was much more for the Korean audience than the North American. But there's a problem with that communication with your audience and it felt like the North American audience was not being listened to by any means by them and it led to a lot of problems and a lot of people actually leaving the game whereas with you guys we've been feeling like you really want to work with the community to make the game better and that's really quite noble it's something that stands out as a company you you get a feeling that these guys actually care we want they want to help us make this game better no, and it's, and it's true. I mean, we realize that when people, you know, even when they're in the forums uh, being not nice, right, it's because they care about the game and they want you to make the game better. They want to trying desperately to point out any way that they can, you know, the things that they want to have, you know, looked at. And that comes from the top down. That comes from, you know, John Needham, our CEO, and Jack Emmert, you know, our chief creative officer. That, I mean, you know, we're constantly like, oh, we live in our forums. Like, you know, this is what our players want. We need to address those things. Um, you know, and sometimes we don't always address it exactly the way they want because sometimes, you know, players don't understand all the intricacies of the system. And they'll say, we want you to do this. And we look at that and go, wow, that would really break a lot of stuff. But we, but we understand what it is you want to have addressed. So maybe we can find a different way to address that, you know. Uh, but I mean, we've, we've made changes to, to small parts of the game, huge parts of the game, you know, really based a lot on player feedback, what it is that they want. Because, right, they're our customers. They're the people that are, you know, giving us their hard-earned uh, dollars and euros, uh, you know, at the end of, of every uh, month. To keep playing the game, so we need to listen to them and, and be responsive. And uh, I, I am constantly... Um, greatly impressed with the development team and how fast they turn things around, how dedicated they remain to the product, um, you know, just how hard those guys and gals work on the game, um, and just the amount of content we've put out in the three short months the game's been live um, really blows me away. And, and I, you know, I can't tell those, those, those guys and gals enough that, you know, it's, it's amazing the amount of stuff they're able to actually get done um, which I think is a, a testament to the tools that we have there and the technology is cryptic, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a two way street. You know, we, we want to get done what we can for the players and in return, you know, the players are, are definitely letting us know what it is and, and working with us, you know, on our, on our uh, public test shard and things like that to, to make sure that we are getting the things done and, and hopefully doing them right. Well, we know that you have like a, a obviously you just told us a plethora of uh, desires that everybody's been throwing your way on the forums and, and through the test shards and everything else. But what about you? What is one thing that you would like to see come to life in the game or one thing you would like to see added into the game? Uh, you know, I, I really would like us to be able to um, create uh, some more systems in the game that allow, uh, that then in turn allow players to uh, basically find ways to create their own content. The Nemesis system does that a little bit, touches on that, when you're making your own arch enemy, right, and they fold into a storyline. Um, you know, one thing that we've thrown around a lot um, and tried to figure out how we would actually design this to make it make sense um, and, and fit in well is, you know, like an investigation system, right, where players are using secret identities and finding things out and then using those to build missions to go on. 
Ooh, that'd um, be fantastic. You know, it's 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 a it's a big chunk to bite off. Um, you know, but that's one that's one thing if I was looking at how we expand the current game. To be honest, another thing I think is really important for us to do is to look at what we can do to make the game, uh, you know, continue to make the game more accessible. Um, you know, finding out ways to to simplify things, to streamline some of the processes we have, to not lose the the sense of flexibility and and, and customizability we have, but find ways to make it easier for players to get in, right? You know, I'm I'm really happy that you gave it a second chance, right? To kind of like, hey, the second time I played through, I really fell in love with it. But I, I found that, you know, I think that the difficulty right now in our marketplace, and especially with MMOs, is that they're lifestyles, right? So if somebody is playing another MMO, and they've been playing it for months or probably even years, you know, when they come over and try your game out, you've really got to make it, you know, as comfortable and fun and easy and engaging as possible. Now, the way I always talk about it is we're, we're facing this challenge is if I came to you and I said, hey, look, I know that you've got this beautiful, you know, 22-room mansion and it's on 100 acres and you've got it stables with your show horses there and your family lives with you and your friends are next door and you love everybody and you have great food in your massive kitchen with your chef, but I'm starting, you know, uh, this new housing project over here in Cleveland. And so I, thought, I think it's going to be good we finish building all the rest of the houses and we get you on the ground floor. You know, I guess the way a lot of gamers look at it because they live that lifestyle. You know, it's like, hey, uh, you know, I've been playing WoW for five years. Impress me. And I think that's, you know, probably almost impossible for anybody. Well, see, um, the problem now, too, is that you're not just looking at the WoW beast. Um, we've been covering a lot of the games that have come out just this fall that have been... Mm -hmm absolutely incredible i mean there's been a couple of failures as well too but when you're looking at games like your dragon age origins that basically sucks up your life um the ion even though had some serious problems for a little while was quite good to play we got your borderlands got left for dead 2 right now your the game came out at a time where people knew there were going to be some amazing games coming out so you you had a lot that you were going up against right then and there no, it's very true. It's it's an amazingly competitive market. Um, you know, I think that there and a lot of you know, there's a good number of players that cross over, right? So they're playing PC games. They'll throw a console game in here and there. You know, it's 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 really really challenging. Um, it's it's a hard space to be in. Uh, you know, cause you, and and I find that a lot of players, um, you know, both you know, anecdotally talking with people, they're like, yeah, some new game comes out, hey, I'll buy it and I'll check it out, and then I see how I feel about it after a month. You know, but when you're when you're doing that, it's like, oh, I did this. Oh, in two weeks later, this came out. I'm like, oh god, the next week this came out. You know, it's really hard to compete with not only that lifestyle that exists, but then all the other great new stuff that's out. And and we even talk about the office. It's you know, like, oh, what are you going to play tonight? It's like, oh, I don't know. I got like four games I'm playing right now. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to play. It's like, I haven't finished Dragon Age yet because we've been playing Left 4 Dead 2. And it's like, you know, there's only so many hours. So uh, it's, it is it is challenging. I think the, the trick is you, you have to try to find, you know, uh, it, for us in the MMO space, you know, what we've been trying to do, and, we, and, you know, you guys brought it up, was the fact that we want our players to know that we are there, you know, with them and for them. And, you know, they're not going to probably get that in a lot of games. You know, where they're like, hey, we want this, we want that, we'd love to see this, what are you guys doing about this? You know, we, every two weeks we have, uh, we have dev chats, 
you know, we have online dev chats and we're constantly in our forums and, you know, our developers are talk, talking directly back to them and we're, you know, we're on the public test shards with them and we, you know, we, we're constantly trying to, to let our players know that, you know, yep, we're here, we're working hard, we're with you guys and we want to keep making this game bigger and better just like you guys want it to be. Well, especially as a, a pay-to-play model too, you really do have to fight even that much harder. And I think that the fact that you guys are um, keep wanting to improve it and that you are working for the community is helping you out because otherwise not everybody can afford to have multiple pay-to-play per month going on. And the f sad fact is that there's still a lot of people who have WoW as their primary. So if you're going up against that juggernaut as a just in terms of the pay-to-play model, then that's fairly difficult. Yeah, and I also think there's a lot of a lot of players that, um, you know, WoW was the first MMO they ever played, and probably really will honestly be the last one they ever play. You know, WoW really expanded the market. Um, but I think that they, they got a lot of people where they were like, yeah, my friend told me the place this is great. And that's the MMO they know. And when they play something that isn't that MMO, they're like, oh, I don't know. Mm, I don't like this. And they go back. Um, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of familiarity there for players too, right, that you're combating. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, a, uh, it's a tough job. But uh, actually as uh, Alan Adham, who was the – first president over at Blizzard used to say if it was easy everybody would do it very true very true how much are you getting a chance to actually play other games right now like you were saying that you guys some of the guys around the office are talking about playing like four different games or whatever how much are you personally playing right now uh probably uh not as much as I used to because <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> sleep and do other things um but I mean I'm playing some Star Trek and some champions of course I gotta play those um, though the nice thing is I actually like playing those, right? I mean, I have to, quote-unquote, because it's my job. Don't, don't even really think do. about complaining about playing Star Trek. We're <laughs> know, all I dying don't. to play it right now. Cannot wait until <laughs> even just the beta comes out, and you're going to complain about, oh, i got to play Star yeah, Trek online. No. no, I'm definitely not complaining. I, I, put the, I put the have to, like I've got to play in quotes, right? Um, you know, that's like saying, like, oh, it's terrible. I, I have to go drink Guinness tonight, right? Uh, <laughs> not, not really. It's not that much of an imposition. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been uh, getting through Dragon Age, you know, not playing that as I, – I, I, I have to stop myself from putting in too many late nights playing that. Um, you know, been doing that. been playing a little Left for Dead um, just because it's a great, uh, you know, fun stress reliever um, or stress inducer, I guess, depending on <laughs> how you want to look at it. Um, and uh, I've actually been uh, – I, I have uh, uh, one or two nights a week where I actually play a lot of uh, board games and card games because I really like playing, keeping up with all the new games that come out of Europe and, and the U.S. And, uh, and, and they're just very different mechanics, but I always think there's things you can learn from those, from playing all those different games. Uh, and then I also have to get my rock band time in. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. the the um, the card games especially, I really have enjoyed it with the kids. The only problem is, is like, you want to talk about a money sink. Oh, my God, the trading card games, you put a second mortgage on your house. and uh, But it is something that through with, I've got four kids, and each of the kids at different times has played different games. And you really see the different mechanics between the games and how well orchestrated they are and how well it works together like case in point when the wow trading card came out and I, I don't want to knock it for anybody who enjoys it but really i tried it with my kids and we simply 
did not like it nearly as much as, say, Magic. And when you're playing Magic, and part of that is because it's been around so bloody long, but you can see how well done it was. Like, it, it just works together so beautifully. So it is something where you could sit down for three hours and have this amazing game that's, that's epic in nature. You feel like you've done a five-man dungeon kind of run. Yeah, it's it's actually, I mean, it's a, the magic system is so well-defined now, but even when, I remember when it first came out, you know, and we were playing it, I'm just being so impressed, like, wow, this is a really elegant system, you know, and they've shown just how expandable that system is, you know, and uh, and I think it's it's particularly brilliant uh, the way they approach uh, each of the new releases of it, where they'll come out with the new core set, you play that for a while, and then they do that three expansion model, each one adding a different game mechanic twist. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it really shows the, the ingenuity that's there. Uh, but yes, you can, you can, you can have to be like selling blood down the blood <laughs> cards after a while. Um, but you know, I mean, it's really funny. We actually, um, when we were, uh, we, at flagship, I remember we would, uh, we'd play a lot of magic, uh, at lunchtime and, uh, and kind of after work, and we, we were at the point where we're like, going, oh, we just want to go buy any more cards. So we would, after we'd play with other things, we would put the cards back out into starter deck formations randomly. And we're like, okay, here's all the commons, here's all the, the rares, here's all the uncommons, so put them out, and then put the mix back together all face down. And then we would just do sealed deck tournaments. But with the same oh, cards nice. over and over and over again, right? Because we were just like, oh, we can't afford any more cards. You know, I got to pay rent this month. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love that, and I and I and I love playing board games. I mean, just the the thing I like the most about it is is that is that social aspect. You know, I think that's why online games are so huge. Is that you're online with people, you're chatting with them, whether you're you know over Ventrilo or you're you know Skype or you're typing or whatever it is, um, and playing. But I mean, that's that all got its genesis from the fact that. You know, people like to sit down with their friends, you know, across the table and paper and pencil RPGing or playing, you know, board games or card games. And, and that kind of evolved into, well, we have the power of the Internet and you can play with anybody around the world. Uh, but I, I really like sitting there and like learning a new game and checking out the mechanics and, you know, just hanging out with my friends. And uh, I, I really, really think that's something that hopefully never, never gets lost no matter how, uh, you know, digitally enhanced we become. Along that same vein, um, I mean, there's a lot of stories that come up from from interacting with your friends and, and playing these games, whether they're pen and paper or video games or board games. Um, I have to ask a, just kind of a personal question here. What's your favorite gaming moment? I mean, any of all time, from anything back in pen and paper to board games with friends to, to online, anything at all. What would you say is your absolute favorite gaming moment? Easy. Oh, my gaming moment? Oh, Wow. Uh, well, <laughs> or my experience. favorite game, favorite games, these are moments. Hard. My favorite game is actually poker. Um, <laughs> I love playing poker. It's, it's, it's like the perfect game to me. It's portable. It has a limited number of pieces. Uh, it's infinitely alterable. Um, and the number of variations you can have, it has an amazing risk to reward ratio. Uh, it's equal parts skill and luck. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's a uh, multiplayer. I mean, I just, I, you know, I love everything about it. Um, probably my best gaming moment, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, God, there's so many from just, you know, RPGs always tend to have these great moments where stuff happens in the way that you would never expect for it to happen. Uh, and it, you know, and they kind of live on in infamy. Um, one that happened really recently, uh, right now, a group of us at the office are playing, 
um, are playing uh, Ice and Fire, right? The, okay. Uh, the, which is an RPG system based off the, I think it was like the George R. R. Martin books, right? Right. Um, and so we uh, we were playing and we were getting this. The the our John, who's running the game, uh, actually just kind of followed the mode of the books. Started us out by playing a little vignette with not our characters, right? With characters that weren't ours. Um, that was going to be setting up the storyline for our main characters. Uh, and as for anybody who's read the Songs of Ice and Fire books, know that it is a a brutish and cruel world. <laughs> <laughs> where life expectancy is not very high. Um, so we were about six minutes into our little opening vignette, and it was becoming very apparent we were all probably going to die, and not in, not in a good way. Uh, and so two of the characters actually managed to escape this uh, this, this uh, little bar that we're in, um, and the bartender's already been killed, and my character's a blacksmith, and I'm trying to talk my way out of it. Like, don't you guys need somebody to go with you and fix your armor? And you can't do that if you kill me. You know, I'm like trying to convince them they should take me along. <laughs> but this character is playing, a, one of the characters is a messenger. The other character was the wife of the bartender. They had both escaped, and they made it to the, uh, to the stables where the messenger knew his horse was. They both get there through different routes, but simultaneously, they run in because the the uh, the bartender's wife, uh, that character had uh, the faster initiative. So she runs over, opens the gate to where the horse is, and is trying to calm the horse down because there's fire and noise and fighting going on the streets because these iron men are raiding. And then the messenger comes over, and uh, he's uh, he's actually has uh, a basic cowardice as a flaw. So he runs up and he. And he's got this really high horsemanship, and bam, he jumps in the back of the horse, and he looks down at the at the wife of the guy, and he looks at the other guy, and he's like, "I'll never forget you," and just takes off on the horse, <laughs> right? And we're all, "Wow!" Like, you know, but it, but he, his character's craven, so we're like, "Well, that makes a lot of sense, right?" So it's now the now it's the wife's turn, and so uh, Adam, who's playing, is like, "All right, I'm going to try to grab onto him." you know, or the horse or something. Cause the, now by now the door's been busted in on the stable and in come all the, you know, the, the evil guys are going to kill them. And he's like, okay, great, make a strength roll. Right. And it's just, it's a 2d six roll. And so he rolls a 12. It's like, Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. You grab right around his waist. He's like, all right. Now make a roll to stay on the horse. He rolls a four. So it's this classic moment where he's like, I'll never forget you. Starts to ride off. She grabs him on the waist, pulls him off the horse, and psh, the horse is out the gate. And gone. And they're there, and like, in come all the burly guys with the swords. And they're like, oh, that did not go as planned at all. We were just, we were just rolling. You know, we're like, God, that what a classic moment. You know, and, and that's the thing that I, that I love about, about paper and pencil RPGs, right, is that, um, that you really, you'll, you, you can never get in an online game is – Here's a situation, and then letting the players just come up with how they're going to get out of it, or how they're going to deal with it, and and then having to be able to, you know, and that's where the importance of the GM comes in is, how do I roll with that? How do we, how do I fold this into the story, or how do I take that into account? Because maybe I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, and I think that's where those those brilliant moments come from. Um, another a real short one from the from stuff that I've worked on. 
Um, one moment I will never forget was during the original Warcraft Orcs and Humans, um, we were putting in, you could play over uh, modem, right, and over local area net, you could play head on right. head, head to head. Yep. And, uh, and it was a big deal, and people had done it. We were like, I remember the first time we tried it, and um, Alan and then uh, Ron Miller, who was a designer at the company, were playing. And, you know, we were, like, running back and forth to the offices and watching them play. And then at one point, like, the game, ended, and they both came out of their office. They were like, yeah, that was awesome. Oh, my God. And then Ron's like, I totally kicked your ass. And Alan goes, no, you didn't. I kicked your ass. And what had happened is the game had gotten out of sync. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it was just so funny because, but, but even though there was the error where they, you know, they were both the victors, we were like, we've got something here because they were so pumped by the end of that game. It was like, wow, we actually just went head to head and had this big, big epic strategy fight, you know? Um, so, but it was just great. They both came out and they were just, they were hooting and hollering, like, yeah, that was awesome. And it was like, and then they realized, oh, actually, that was a bug. But, man, that felt good. Let's make the game actually be like that for the guy who wins. So, you know, those are – I don't know. I, I just think I like about games, right? I mean, we could probably sit here for hours and exchange cool stories of games that we've played and, you know, these, these wonderful moments. And, and I think that's – you know, that comes because you're with other people. People don't sit around and go, oh, there was this game of Solitaire I played that was so awesome. <laughs> right? It's because you're there with somebody else and that interaction that happens. Oh, definitely. Okay, well, with that, I can't think of a better way to end this interview, actually. On behalf of uh, both Joe and Rick and myself, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, very insightful to hear some of those early days and what it was like back then. It's, it's something that... Uh, when especially now with the juggernaut that bliss has become a lot of people are just now starting to play their games and it's introducing them to other games as well a lot of people are playing wow that aren't really gamers and then it's opening them up to different other games whereas old schoolers like us we remember buying those games when they first came out remember hearing about them when they were being talked about so it's interesting to to get some of that backstory so again thank you very much for coming on the show greatly appreciate it you bet. Okay. I had a great time, guys. Anytime. Uh, this is a blast. And one, la one last fanboy moment. Thank you so much for serving as a personal inspiration in my own endeavors in the gaming industry. So thank you very much, sir, and keep up the good work. Wow, no pressure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Joe, and I am from For the Lore. This is the second installment of the story of Dante, a champion's online fan fiction. The rest of the story and future installments can be found at ForTheLore.com. The rain was heavy and persistent. It forced your clothes to hug every contour. Dante didn't notice it, or he just didn't care. He watched the warehouse unmoving from his perch. Silent. He had received the case two days prior. A woman had petitioned the champions to find her daughter. She had been kidnapped from their house in the night. The other champions felt sorry for her, but were ready to hand it over to the police. That wasn't good enough for Dante. As the woman left crying, he followed after her. When he caught up to her, he explained that he would help. She gave him a photo of her daughter, and told him no captor had made contact yet with her for a ransom. He immediately made for the scene of the crime. It was a quiet neighborhood the type every family wants to raise their kids in. Homes neatly tended and well-kept, 
Signs of children playing everywhere. The victim's name was Sally. She lived in a ranch-style home with her husband and daughter. The child's name was Jessie, and she looked happy in all of the family photos. She was all of eight years old and looked eerily similar to Angela. Dante had felt a pull at his heart, and he had made the connection. He had to find this girl. He knew how much it hurt when you lost something so precious. He investigated her room. There was no sign of forced entry or struggle. No drag marks or any other evidence that indicated what had happened. For all intents and purposes, it looked as though the child simply got out of bed and disappeared. Dante inspected the window that led to the outside and the ground around the house. He saw what was easily a child's footprint in the soft bed of the home's garden. On first look, there didn't appear to be any other signs of anyone else. But near the edge of the yard, Dante spotted what looked like burned plants. Dante picked them up and put them in a small bag. He would have to analyze them back at Champion's headquarters. He returned back to the home and turned to the girl's mother. I'll find her and bring her back to you. And I'll make whoever took her pay dearly for the pain they have caused both of you. You have my word on it. The mother sobbed softly, choking out a thank you. Dante nodded and left to analyze the plants. When he returned back to headquarters, he ignored the others and their various missions. Nothing was more important at this moment than his current task. He walked into the lab and closed the door behind him, locking it before turning. He didn't want any distractions. He placed the withered and burned remains in the analyzer and waited for the computer to do its work. It wasn't long before a printed result was displayed. The plant was killed by a rare acetic acid, only produced by one company in the city. Dante pulled them up on the computer and checked their assets. They had a series of plants strewn about the city, in a large warehouse down by the docks. The warehouse made bi-weekly shipments, and had just shipped out two days prior. A perfect place to hide a captive, Dante mused. He took the plant remains and had them fully incinerated and wiped the computer logs of his results and searches. He was going to do this his way, and he wanted no interruptions. It didn't take long to get to the warehouse and find a place to observe it. He sat in the rain and waited to see if there was any signs of life in the warehouse, any telltale signs that someone was inside at all. The thunder and rain would help mask his entrance, he thought, as he planned his point of entry. He watched the warehouse unmoving, waiting, and planning. Then he saw it, a flicker of light from deep in the center of the warehouse. Maybe a camping lamp or a small fire. He let loose his grappling hook and made contact with the roof of the warehouse. He held tight, counting the time between thunders. One, two, three, four, and then the crash. More than enough time for a swing through a window. He jumped and counted in his head as he balled up for the swing. One, two, three. Four. The crash of thunder echoed perfectly the breaking of the glass. He was in. He quickly gained cover and looked around. No reaction to his entry. This should be easy, he thought. He took off his coat and wrapping it tightly put it in his pack. No use in broadcasting his movement through a water trail. He began to stalk towards the center of the warehouse, making sure to watch for any sentries, tripwires, or goons. The path seemed clear and 
mostly empty warehouse gave no indication of him being watched. He took out a few security cameras along the way just to be safe. At the center of the warehouse lay a small office-type structure, possibly for security, but more likely for the accounting of inventory. It had one window and a single door, and Dante could see the light from earlier brightly shining through the window. He pulled up his mask and drew his sword. He stalked to the structure and made his way carefully over to the window. He raised himself slowly and peered in the window carefully. There in the center of the room was the girl. She looked so much like his daughter. He felt the pain again deep in his chest. She was tied down on her knees, hands behind her back, head outstretched and neck exposed. The traditional way of executions of the axe were held in the ancient days. Her captor was nowhere to be seen, or as much as Dante could see. He drew his second sword, the ready, and decided to go in hot. The blades were ready to sing, thirsty for vengeance. He could feel them call to him. In time, he thought. All in good time. Taking a few steps back, he took a running leap through the window, rolling up into a crouch, swords barred before him. When no attack or gunfire came immediately, he quickly scanned the room. Inside was a small desk and a few filing cabinets, and no good place for the captor to hide. Moving fast, he looked for traps, bombs, anything that could cause harm to the girl. When he found nothing, he relaxed slightly. The captor must have left convinced that no one would find the girl. He moved slowly over to her and knelt. It's okay, he whispered. I'm here to bring you back to your mother. We'll have you home and drinking cocoa in no time at all. The girl made no reaction. It piqued Dante's sense of caution, but he slowly removed the girl's blind and gag. Her expression was distant, as if she was staring through the walls. He waved his hands in front of her face. Again, no reaction. Carefully, he removed her bindings from around her neck, wrists, and legs. He laid her down cautiously, putting his pack under her head to cushion it. He stood and paced around a bit, getting his blood moving. He could cradle the girl to get her out of the same way he got in. But the captor might come back for her. He would petition a few of the newer champions to help him keep watch on her house for a few nights, waiting for him to return. Then he could snatch him and end it for good. Upgrade would help. She had no qualms about letting Dante do his work. It was then he felt the red-hot pain in the back of his head. As he fell to the floor and before the darkness took hold, he saw the girl standing over him, a lead pipe in her hands. His vision swam and soon the darkness took him. He awoke with a splitting headache and his whole body feeling as though it was on fire. He tried to stand and find he could not. He had been tied in the same position as the girl. He struggled against his bonds and felt the searing pain in his shoulders. He saw a glance right and left and saw his swords tied intricately against him, sharpened edges biting into his shoulder at the joint. If he struggled too hard, it would cut him deep, and knowing his swords possibly severing his arm. He moved his head side to side slowly. Standing in front of the desk was the girl, her eyes still vacant. Behind the desk was a figure clad in shadow. The girl must be bewitched, he thought furiously. The man behind the desk stood and slowly made his way to Dante. <laughs> Welcome back to the land of the conscious. I must say I expected more out of you, Ada. 
In almost three thousand years, I would have assumed you learned a thing or two about not letting people get the drop on you. I must say, Ada, it does take the fun out of the sport. Dante watched him. Thin, athletic, close-cropped blonde hair, and an air of menace about him so thick you could feel it as if he were pressed against the wall. He was cold and sinister, the type that would have satisfied Dante's blades for years to come. Oh, I see you don't recognize me. Again, you disappoint me. I had assumed that you remembered me well enough. After all, it is me you have to thank for ridding you of your mortal weakness. The man walked back over to the girl and stroked her chin softly. Looks remarkably like your Alna, doesn't she? I wonder if I were to split her open and shed her blood if she would beg more or less than Alna did. What do you think? Rage and recognition began to flood into Dante, infusing him with memories of pain and sorrow to accompany the anger. He did recognize this man. Zilla, you bastard! How? How can it be you? Zilla walked back over to Dante and leaned over. My dear boy, it's always been me. When your home was bombed in Poland, when you were captured and dissected, when your army was betrayed in the mountains and the Persians allowed to flank you. Well, even the little birdie that told Destroyer where to plant the bomb in your office. That was all me. He slapped Dante for good measure. You see, child, when I sacrificed your daughter and raped and killed your wife in the good old days, it was all for a ritual. Nurgle required a sacrifice of a faithful woman and her child. Your suffering at watching the proceedings were only a bonus. You see, I desired immortality, and thus I received it. However, that damned Enki saw fit to offer you a deal as well. God of life, my ass. God of bargaining and deceit, maybe. He kicked Dante on the back as he circled him, driving him forward onto the blades. Dante stifled a yelp. In offering you a place at his side, he tied us together. Demigods among men. Not one can live without the other, Enki decreed. Nurgle countered with a decree that neither should die without the other. And so here we are. I don't wish to kill you, if you're wondering. You see, every time you died, I died as well. And every time I was reborn, so were you. I learned of the divine decree some years ago, and so I haven't tried to kill you. Instead, I've decided to torture you and cause you as much pain as I can. This child will be a new sacrifice, however. Perhaps with some time I can give Nurgle enough souls to break the binds that tie us. Dante stared at him, calculating carefully. Keep him talking, he thought. I am no longer Ada. He died a long time ago. And I cared not for your petty quest for immortality. If I must die so that you may die, I will dance on my own blade just to watch you burn, devil. Zilla let out a maniacal laugh. <laughs> oh, by all means, do. I'm fairly certain that if you kill yourself that I'll be left alive. And it would save me a lot of trouble. However, so feel free. The villain laughed again. Dante looked down at his bindings and then looked at the girl. 
Her life was more important than his. He had to get her free at any cost. Zilla drew a jeweled dagger, the same one he had used to destroy Dante's life almost 3,000 years prior. His back was to Dante, and it gave him all the chance he needed. He leaned hard into the blade, letting it cut through his shoulder, the blood rolling down his arm and over his wrists. It was just enough for him to work his hands free. He worked fast to loose his sword and cut himself free. The pain was almost too much, but he could bear it. It was what he was made to do. Quickly he rose to his feet and spun Zilla around with his good hand. He headbutted him on the bridge of his nose and wrestled the dagger from him. Using all the strength he could muster, he drove the blade deep into Zilla's shoulder, pushing him to the wall. When he felt the blade hit wood, he twisted. Zilla screamed in pain. Dante let go of the dagger and grabbed the girl. She was starting to become lucid again and screamed. I'm here to help! Grab the pack and hold on! Dante yelled. She nodded and despite the shock, she did what she was asked to do. She looped her hands around his neck and held tight. Running from the room, he pulled his grappling gun from his belt, almost slipping on his own blood as he shot through one of the warehouse windows. Head down tight, he bellowed, as he felt the hook find purchase. Hitting the stud on the side, he held tight. He felt the rope begin to pull. The pain was almost unbearable, but he refused to let Zilla take another soul. The girl cried as they broke through the glass, but she held tight. He pulled them up to the roof and kept running making leaps from roof to roof until they were safe back at Champion's headquarters. He pushed inside and set the girl down before collapsing from the loss of blood. When he awoke, he was in the medical bay of the headquarters, his arm having been sewn up and saved from being lost. He looked around the room slowly. He saw Doc Silverback and Upgrade talking near what looked like his x-rays, and sitting next to the bed was the girl and her mother. The girl was fast asleep, and her mother was holding her close. She looked and saw Dante awake. She wouldn't leave, you know. She said she wanted to be the first one to thank you. The mother shook the girl awake gently. Honey, he's awake now. Jessie rubbed sleep from her eyes and stared at her savior. Yawning, she smiled at him. Thank you. Thank you so much. They told me what happened. She leapt up and hugged him tight around his neck. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No sweat, kid, Dante rasped. Just make sure to stay safe, okay? He smiled at her and then her mother. It might not be safe for you to go back home. He might try again. The mother smiled honestly. They already thought of that. We're moving out of here tomorrow. The champion sent a few heroes to pack us up and keep us safe for a few days while we waited. We're going out west for a while. She pointed at Upgrade. She said it might not be smart to tell anyone where we're going, so we won't broadcast it. But I do have to say thank you for saving my daughter. I can never repay you. He smiled again, grinning from ear to ear. We don't do it for the pay. He patted Jesse weakly on the head. We do it for all the right reasons. The mother and daughter left shortly after, and Upgrade walked over. She tossed the letter onto Dante's lap and walked away. He opened it knowing that it must be safe to have gotten past protocol. He noted it was written in the pictograms of his birthplace. They say you go by Dante now. How fitting a name, twinned with such tragedy and sorrow.
I must say it was good to see your fire still burn bright, Ada. You'll be happy to know that mine do as well. The move you used to free yourself shows great sacrifice. I'm sure we'll be seeing more of that in the future. I'm sure that our paths will cross many more times to come, as I will make it my solemn goal to harass and cause you misery in any way I can. Know that some way I shall be your end, and as you have adopted a new name for this time, so shall I. Rest well, for you shall need it. Umbra Dante stared at the letter. He was not afraid of what might happen, but somehow he would make his own enemy pay for all that he has done. All the lives that had ended in his hands, he would make Umbra feel the bite of his blades, all in due time. For now, though, he had no choice but to rest. Doc Silverback was one person he didn't want to argue with, at least he ended up with the third arm. Hello there folks, this is the Almighty Hooks, aka Hooks, aka Mark Gullahan from Scotland to Army, and you're listening to For the Lore, you motherfuckers, just good shit. Do it. <laughs> he finally gets to talk. <laughs> I wanna talk too, damn it. I know about games. I can hear in your voice, man. That's that's awesome. See, that makes me smile, knowing that Joe is happy. I could do that. I could be that guy. <laughs> and so, you know, it's... It like Joe should have been a kid on the cereal box kind of Joe, thing. Joe's, Joe's about to break in a song. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, my eyes lit up. I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. And then it goes, but I didn't get it. They said they were too busy, so fuck you. Like, Why? <laughs> Why would you do this to me? It's just like, you gave me a puppy, and they said, here's a puppy. You're like, oh, look, it's a puppy. And then you just wiped your ass with the puppy and then gave it back to me. Man. The other day, I, 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 meet, uh, my, I, I meet up with a buddy of mine, Fernando. We went to the movies to go see 2012, uh, me and my wife and a bunch of friends of ours. And he comes up wearing, like, a Rapture shirt, a, a T-shirt that has the Rapture thing. It says, no God or Kings, just man. And I'm sitting there like, God damn, that's awesome. Where'd I will you give you $20 for that shirt right now. <laughs> I was talking. I was talking to my wife about it earlier today. She goes, "That Bioshock is that game that scared you." And I'm like, "Yeah, it freaked me the fuck out. I played it like in pitch darkness, and I'm hearing the little spider splicer chick, you know, moving around in the ceiling with the 5.1 surround going on in my ears. I'm like, okay, any second now, something's gonna drop down and sodomize me from behind. It's like I'm at Roger's house. Let me just be very cautious. And it was. I warned you when you came. Yeah, truth be told, you did. But <laughs> the, the fact that I took scissors out and cut a hole in your jeans should have been tip number one. <laughs> oh, dude, um, this one story I, I I wanted to tell you about, like when I told you that I'm like the second coming of Christ and freaking left for that too. <laughs> yeah. You seem to keep talk. bringing that up. Dude, not pretentious at all. One, no, not no, at all. I think he's overcompensating. No, no guys, guys, guys. It's it kind of like when he talks it, about the size of his dick. Oh, no, no, I, no, it's I, definitely I wanna, overcompensation. I Roger, I want to hear the story. I want to hear how good he is. Roger, why will you not join us, Roger? I can't. I can't. Jesus. One dude. of us. One of us. Yeah, no. Dude. Oh, man. <laughs> I know my life is bad right now, but don't. <laughs> it hasn't dropped that low yet. Chris. Joe, are you Joe, okay? Joe, contain yourself. 
<laughs> you could hear him squeal. I can't, I can't, I can't breathe. <laughs> How are you doing there today, Mr. Rubber? Yeah, I'm, I'm nowhere near the amount of... I mean, Joe is downright messing himself right now as we speak, <laughs> Mr. Roper. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm kind of digging the fact that you're the poxy boggers, a drinking group with a singing yeah. problem. <laughs> That's uh, excellent. Definitely, yes. We started the band to get drunk and meet girls, and we're still getting drunk. <laughs> you guys trying to work on the whole girl part, or...? I think they gave up on that one. Well, yeah, some of us got them, and other ones got married, and you know, it's just you always know where your beer is, so that's kind of the best part. <laughs> I got to use the one on the wife. That's good. <laughs> and and Rick doesn't have the coordination, so no, I, I, he's only no, got manual dexterity for one thing. No, I I learned how to do maybe one or two songs tops, and then I was like, yeah. Screw this. I got little girl hands. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Should have picked up a ukulele. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, that's real hip. Yeah. I'm going to get all the girls that way playing a freaking ukulele. Uh, when I was at Blizzard, when you clicked on uh, the church, when you go in, you upgrade Knights to Paladins. Uh, there's a little music clip that plays there, and that's actually uh, part of a song we do at the Bloggards. Oh, fantastic. That would go in there that was... Uh, so, and then if you look at a lot of all the credits while I was at Blizzard, uh, the Poxy Boggers was in the thanks to <laughs> section. So, very cool. There's your legit gaming crossover. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. I have my. I have my own personal tea delivery woman. No, my my roommate's gonna bring me tea because she's the best. You know, if you can have her call my wife and just substitute tea for beer or wine, we're in business. <laughs> You gotta teach Misty how to put a headset on before we can have her on the show. <laughs> she had the- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, Anybody who puts drinking. a headset on backwards and can't figure out the mic, uh, that might take a little while to get her on. You guys are such nerds. Ugh. I had my I had my mic muted, just scratching my ass, you know. <laughs> not touching any buttons, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm fiddling with any cables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 